This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gatto, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. Salwete, Nihinomen Est, Stella, Ad Hoc Est, Backer the Oracle, The Barbara Gordon Podcast, Episode 214, the 12th anniversary episode for December MMXXI. Backer the Oracle is brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age. 
and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Well, it's been a while since you've seen this person's face on the screen, and I felt it was appropriate to have her on for Batgirls number one, and it just so happened to be the 12th anniversary. So please welcome back to the show, honored guest, my chief Tata correspondent, (laughs) Professor Carolyn Coco. Welcome back. Hello. It's great to be back and happy anniversary. And uh, yo, Saturnalia, Saturnalia right now, right? Yes. So we should celebrate that for a week or whatever they used to do. (laughs) We should just go wild. Yes. Uh, Uh, But yeah, I'm very happy to be here and to talk about Batgirls since I have been talking about wanting a book called Batgirls for a very, very long time. And absolutely here. Finally. Yeah. So certainly one of the questions I'll want to ask is, oh, my gosh, was it worth it? And no spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> we'll have to talk about that. But yes, finally, I think we've been asking for for years, probably since we saw, what was it? Issue 24 from Brian Q. Moore's run, where it was sure. in the future. I, I actually put that in my notes. Oh, I've been okay. For this since number 24. Brian yeah. yeah. I'm usually not good about issue numbers, but I'm pretty, that sticks in my mind of that Me future. Too. Yeah. The future and seeing all those back roles working together. And they had the Robbins book you know, a couple years ago yeah, that didn't turn yeah. out well. So it's like, why not? Why? Right. And even just that Batman Inc. made me think, why not Batgirl Inc.? Yeah. So yeah, you put all that together and it just seems so obvious that this was the way to go. Indeed. I think it was the patriarchy that was keeping us from what we wanted. <laughs> that's that's what they do. Yeah. Uh, now, I also asked you on this show because you owe me a great deal mm-hmm. of money. And I felt like it was the best way to get the money that you owe me by inviting you on so that you can't scurry away. But I promoted you without any reason to really. It just pops up. And I feel like each time there's a ka-ching. So when am I getting my check? Um, It's in the mail. (laughs) It might, you know, get slowed down with all the holiday mail that's around. Um, But you should be on the lookout for that for sure. Okay. Thank you so much. I can't wait. Okay. Yes, you've been very kind in um, pimping my various writing projects. So I appreciate that. And it's not even like me purposely doing it, but it just like works in really well. No, it's not like, let me, let me try to promote her right now. It's just, it works well with the content and everything. So I'm, I'm very happy to do it. Thank you. Anniversary memories I have put down since it's the 12th. And I guess it's just this year. Do you have any fond, well, do you have any fond memories of 2021 as we say goodbye to it? And do you have any maybe standouts for Batgirl or Oracle? I have to scratch my head on this one as well. Hmm. You mean like fun Batgirl moments of the year? Yeah, could also do that. Some Barbara Gordon moments. <laughs> no, I like, I really enjoy um, watching you, you know, when being on YouTube. So I would just say that that feels like more fun. It kind of feels like I'm in the room with you. Um, so I would say that that really is my best moment and it's a monthly moment. So it's cool. Yeah. 
Thank you. I'm glad that that it feels that way. Like there's an intimacy there. And besides technology and that, you know, I'm not doing anything fancy with YouTube. It's been fun. And I think it's also nice just to be authentic and like show how I'm actually feeling about the comics. And it's also fun to see people and laugh with them is a lot of fun because when it's just a voice and I'll, I'll laugh at anything, but it's just fun to see people and <laughs> laugh at them. Like anytime Donovan comes on and I see his face, I start laughing. So, so that's for sure. But, yeah. But you've had other guests too over the last year, I have. none of whose names I can think of right now. That's terrible. No. Someone that you taught, someone that you taught with, right? Yes. Yes. My work husband, father, Sean McDermott, mm-hmm. that was a lot of fun. Got to bring him on pop his uh, podcasting chair. He said it. Those were his words. <laughs> the priest Cla- said it. Classy till the last. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Donovan, of course, he's always a mainstay. And then Shag, Shagalicious came on to talk about the birds of prey, which was a lot of fun. And the yeah. time that the land that time forgot, I think it was. Yes. And it, I agreed with both of you that that was sort of a fun closer, but not the kind of profundity you might expect from yeah. the, the clothes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm interested. I hope to have Chuck on again, just to talk about his run as a whole. And that'd be really interesting to see. Yeah. Thanks. You know how that all turned out. But. Yeah. That'll be cool. But I'm, but I'm looking forward to getting into the Gail Simone run because that's where I started. I read the whole Gail Simone run and then I went back and read the whole Dixon run. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll I look see. Yeah, I that's Ian Prime. Ian Miller also is excited for that. And I think my hesitancy, of course, is just being burned on the new 52, of course. Sure. And then the her final Birds of Prey run, which would that be volume three or whatever with the white canary? Yeah, no. So you really you're what does it start with? 58, 53, something like that. And it goes to 108, maybe. 53 to 108, possibly. So there's there's a lot in there. And there are guests that you're going to like. And just the, the main relationship, of course, with Dinah is yeah. the best. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, especially building up the crew and having more faces there. So yes. I've known about a bunch of them, but I've not seen them in action. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. And but, whether- I, but yeah, the end was not the same as the bulk of it. Oh, did it go downhill? No, just what you were saying about that last little bit. Oh, oh, I see. Yes. I don't think that's indicative of the rest of it. Okay. Well, that is good. Yeah. So I just need to, and it's been a while since I've read Gil Simone. So I feel like I'll be coming in clean because I think if I had just read something like New 52 and then gone it, then I'd be really like upset and not giving her a fair chance. Well, I, I went into the New 52 thinking to myself, no one knows Barbara Gordon as well as Gail Simone. That was the feeling I came away with from her run of Birds of Prey. Mm -hmm. So we'll see if you feel the same way too. Okay. Those are big words. Those are big words. (laughs) And and I'm choosing them carefully because I really do mean it. Do you have any, as we'll move on from this, but since the year is ending, do you have any positive moments or highlights from 2021? I don't want to put you on the spot. I know. I And we can always do the, the find your joy section. of. Yeah. Course. Some girl gave me this mug. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. One can only aspire Stella, to be Stella gave me this mug. So it's, you know, protect, yeah. attack, <laughs> attack, 
well, baby Yoda, because we talked a lot about or Grogu. We talked a lot about Grogu. Yeah. But I think you know, and some of your listeners may know that for the most part, I have had <laughs> um without exaggeration, the yeah. worst year of my life. <laughs> so <laughs> it's hard for me. Um, you know, I, I definitely tried to practice gratitude uh during that time. So I would say I guess the best thing about this year has been friends and family being uh, really supportive of me during this time. And we don't have to drag it down now, no, but no. at the at the end, I could say a little bit about what that was about in the form of a kind of public health, public service message. Sure. Because I don't, sure. I don't mind telling people I've, I've had some health issues and they were sort of unexpected to me. So I would kind of like to tell people, not in great detail, about them in case you have something similar in your family that you can check out. Yeah, sure. Yeah, whatever you feel comfortable. I'm, I think daily at the, or maybe at the very least, you know, weekly, mm-hmm. I I was very, I'm trying to think of like the the correct modifier to use. I don't know, astounded or proud just of what you were going through and that just you were pushing on and and just your your grit, I think, and your and and I know that sometimes it may not have felt like that, but I just felt all like, man, there's she's really getting knocked down, but she's like <laughs> she keeps she's continuing to keep going. It was so, a weevil wobble situation. I just yeah. kept popping back up. But I think you're just a, a good model for that. So yeah, whatever you want to say to people, because it is hard. But yeah, hearing that from you. And uh, I think people can take some lessons from that too, and hope as well. Okay, yeah. So we can talk about that later. Sure, sure. Okay. Uh, what about me, you? You have a- Yeah, the highlights of 2020. Going back to Broadway was certainly a highlight for me. Because I, of course, you and I had plans to see the gender flipped version of company. And I think New York City like paused Broadway with the the thought that it was, you know, just give us a couple weeks and then we'll we'll pull it up, which it it didn't happen that way. But I remember that they were going to reopen maybe a couple days after we had our original show. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. But ended up just getting shut down completely. So I, I couldn't see it. And it's always just really heartening to go to New York once a year. And I, of course, just stay a day, but to see a show and be in the center of that culture is just really wonderful. I usually get verklempt when, you know, the lights come down and the the curtain comes up. I'm like, oh, it's so emotional. So seeing six and getting to do that with my former student, Claire, was just a lot of a lot of fun. I recently won tickets to a Broadway show because of a short essay I just whipped out about Light in the Piazza. And of course, you are my go-to number one choice to go see it. So now, hopefully, I'm a bit scared with everything's going on, so fingers crossed. But hopefully, we are going to see company and redeem ourselves and, and see that again. Hopefully, yeah. I, I Have you seen over the past few days the number of shows that have canceled yeah. performances and Jagged Little Pill just closed entirely? Yeah. So I, I know I it's like a day by day, show by show basis. It seems. Yeah. yeah. So company itself had a food poisoning situation. I guess audiences receded lights were about to go off and they're like, I'm so sorry. It's, it's, it's canceled. Yeah. So, golly. I think, you know, I did a, a three part end of the year review with Donovan and, and Harry over at uh, mm-hmm. questions. We don't have answers, which 
was like Quinoa. a 10 hour record. Quinoa. Yes. Thank you. 10 hour recording. I said it was 200, but we went through my, my top 10 things that really affected me over this 2021. And I won't, but the body set the floor. I won't go into the 10. <laughs> that wasn't me. That was, that was your situation. My number one actually was all of my anti-racist and racial and black stories that I have been reading throughout 2021. And it's been a lot, but it's really helped me grow as a person. And I'm still on that track. I sort of related it to the, um, the ordo uh, salutis and, you know, like salvation and, mm-hmm. and all of that. And so I'm kind of on this path of getting towards glorification. I don't know what glorification and anti-racism looks like, but I'm working my way there. So that's been for me the, the biggest growth and it's hard, it's hard work, but it's very worthwhile work. And I'm, and, and it's not about having a perfect endpoint. It's just no. about, about, it's about doing the work. We all should, we all need to try to do the work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just be better. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I think that's it. I think, you know, of talking about the memories and everything and Backroll Oracle is going strong and I've got my grad school stuff is coming up and Dear Reader is doing okay, I think. So there's a lot going on. Okay. Now, not to bring us down, I'm going to do like <laughs> this here, but the next, I call it Spooderman, uh, Spider-Man or Spider-Betrayal. Or if we're being respectful, Spider-Man No Way Home? (laughs) Is that what it's called? Did you see this film? Okay, so I saw it uh, yesterday, you know, during the day to try to avoid crowds. And, you know, as as listeners may know, I can be, let's say, a tad critical of pop culture stuff. (laughs) A tad! Look, I loved it. I loved it. Heck. I loved it. And I was worried about, wait, what are we saying? Are we, I mean, are we being open about stuff? Or I think being- so. Uh, yeah. So spoiler alert. I mean, it's been, things are over the internet now after that weekend. So I, I think we're okay. And this won't come out until next week. So talk about what you want to talk about. Next week should be okay. All right. I too was worried about what you were saying about, you know, one day or brand new day kind of yeah. stuff, because I think, you know, I didn't love that. I don't, I haven't read as much Spider-Man as you. I mean, I've read some of the classic runs and I've read Peter and Miles and Spider-Gwen and Silk, whatever, but I don't think I've read as much as you have, but no, I didn't like that story. Like a lot of people didn't like that story because it was like 50 years of building something up and then it's gone. I felt differently about this because I felt like structurally this set of three Tom Holland movies didn't start with an origin, which I was okay with, you know, not like the classic Spider-Man origin. So I felt like the way that they ended this was they gave us his origin at the end of this movie. So I thought that making it like that and not making it, you know, super sad, he's never going to have a daughter named May kind of thing. And just making it about, okay, this is how Spider-Man begins. He's told, he learns this very important lesson from a, fa- a family member and he takes it to heart and he's, he makes the suit on the machine and he jumps out the window of his crappy apartment that we've seen in comics. Um, so anyway, I liked the way that it tied up. I was so happy to see one of my favorite people ever, Alfred Molina, just so that carried me through a lot of it. So uh, I thought that given the amount of things they were juggling, they did a really good job. I thought that the the three 
guys were really great together and that they found a way to sort of honor the older two without, while not taking away from this being Tom Holland's Spider-Man. So I'll just say that for now. What did you think? Were you just mad the whole way? I (laughs) was, I just mad the whole, I was not mad the whole way. I became very upset at one point. And then at the end of the film, I didn't really want to talk to anybody. But unfortunately, (laughs) I was with three other people and I was upset for a long time. And then I became upset at Donovan, who it was no fault of his. It was just like wrong person, wrong time, wrong message to send me. And I just didn't want to. I muted conversations on face. I just needed to get over it. Because what was it that? Okay, what was it then? Okay. I'll tell you, let me tell you, do you want me to say what I liked first and then what I didn't like? I don't care. Just okay. say what you want to say. <laughs> let me tell you, I've always felt betrayed, honestly, by not having an Uncle Ben situation. I understand yeah. not doing the origin story, but the fact that he's not even mentioned, you know, in the first two films, I thought was problematic. Agreed. And then even in this one, his Tom Holland's Uncle Ben isn't mentioned, but we've got Uncle Ben, Uncle Ben. And then it just seems like really ostentatious that maybe that's not the right word, egregious, that there's a missing Uncle Ben right there. And of course, Aunt May takes that that moment. But I also was disheartened that she says the quote and then, of course, kicks the bucket. And I, I would have, uh, I mean, I know the other, that's how they, that's how it happens though. They gotta, somebody's got to die for Spider-Man to learn the lesson. I know, but wouldn't there, I just wish you would have said it earlier so that it could have sort of simmered first before like having this climactic moment and then her life is cut short. For example, maybe in the feast, the feast conversation where she's Mm -hmm. telling him things that he probably Mm -hmm. should have known already about, you know, basically every life is worth something. That would have been, I think the time so that he could could have sat on it and then if she repeated it again and then died i would have been fine with it but that whole thing was oh my gosh my main issue and i think this is true of the whole of the trilogy but this one again was egregious is the humor i think Mm -hmm. the humor at times is inappropriate it's like used inappropriately the whole the villains the first time you see all the villains in their cages and just how they're hamming it up i'm like what what am i watching and then after Aunt May dies, there's like a beat and then it's hamming it up again. And I just thought, oh, man, there's no weight to this. And there are some weighty things going on, but I just felt that there is too much humor. And- it's funny that you say that. I felt like there was more crying than the average Marvel. Movie. <laughs> I thought that there was a whole lot true. of crying and some of which was excellent looking crying. Yeah. I yeah. mean, Andrew Garfield holding oh, Zendaya yeah. and you just see that. I, I mean, you know, yeah. that was great. And I didn't love the Andrew Garfield movies. I think maybe a lot of people didn't love the Andrew Garfield movies, but I thought he was great here. Yeah. And I, I, did, have see, yeah. I have to see Tick, Tick, Boom. I haven't done that yet. Oh, yes. I, that's on my watch list as well. Uh, seeing Toby and Andrew, I think I, I really love that. You, you really can't go wrong with them. I know that people do have different opinions on the Amazing Spider-Man series. But I I love seeing the three of them together. So that's certainly a positive moment for me. And then I think Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin, seeing him again. And I felt like that was the most appropriate representation of all the villains. Alfred Molina hit him as Doc Ock. And I think it was like post-redemption where he is kind of the nicer Doc Ock. So I totally Mm -hmm. got it. But then some of the jokes, he was like, would Doc Ock be making some of these jokes? I don't know. But the Willem Dafoe is like, yeah, yeah, this is it. So there were 
moments enough that my anger would cool because I'm like, okay, this is okay. But then at the end, oh my gosh, the one more day situation. And I get what you're saying. And I think that now that I've cooled off, I can listen to you because before I'd probably be very childish and <laughs> not, not go, la, 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 la. but seeing that whole situation, knowing they're going to forget, very sad. And then no, I, course- start, I started to kind of roll my eyes at the, okay, the forgetting is going to solve it, even though I knew going in, that's what they would do. But I guess it just didn't carry the same level of annoyance it did for me in the comics, because I don't feel, and I think this actually kind of goes into why the humor didn't bother me either. I feel like this Tom Holland Spider-Man is immature. Okay. And that that was consistent through the three movies. And so because of that, because he just looks and acts younger than the other two, and because really his origin is now, in the last couple of movies, he was more a protege of Tony, right? Who hadn't really learned the lesson about responsibility, even though he had been through a lot of stuff, he he hadn't quite learned it. So, you know, I felt like this was Spider-Man in the making the whole time a young Spider-Man in the making who makes immature decisions. And because of that, I also felt like his relationship with MJ was just like a cute little high school thing, as opposed to the level of weight that Peter and Mary Jane's relationship carried in the comics, right? which made that storyline in the comics so painful. Right. It didn't feel painful to me here because it was like, oh, that's nice. They're high school kids that just got together. You know, (laughs) he'll live. (laughs) Don't marry your high school sweetheart anyway, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, so those were the reasons why I went in expecting to be bothered by it. And I left yeah. less bothered than I expected because I felt like the tone of it, the, which was sometimes jarring. I agree. I felt like that kind of went with who this Spider-Man presented as just less mature than, than the others, because he didn't start out with that weight of responsibility in the same way. Yeah. And diff- I think it's my problem as like a shipper who wants, you know, relationships to last. Yeah. But he does make a good decision. I mean, that's a really poignant moment where he's at the donut shop or wherever yeah. and he's about to, you know, it's also cute. He's fumbling around. So that's totally Peter Parker. And yeah. he sees that bandage on her head and realizes, you know, her involvement with him and, and in his life caused that. And so he makes a mature decision, however much that right. hurts me. And one of the complaints, another complaint I had for this series is that Spider-Man's never alone. He's always in the shadow of some other hero. So you had, you know, Tony, you had the death of Tony, and then you have Doc Strange. But now we're we're left. You're right. We're left at the end. And now it's like, oh, well, who is this Spider-Man? Hopefully on his own, making his own name. So, you know, yeah. if there is more, then perhaps I'll be more on board with this and really see who this Spider-Man character is. So I think, you know, like I said, I'm getting over it. And I would like to see it again, I think, to 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 give it another chance, because that's mm-hmm. what I did with Black Widow, where I wasn't necessarily set on my opinions with Black Widow the first time I saw it. But then it got a bit better for me the, the second time I viewed it. So I have not watched that a second time yet. I, I didn't love it the first time, but but I'll watch it again. I mean, you know, it's on Disney Plus, so that's not hard to do. Sure is. Let me know if you notice the butt shots. <laughs> I certainly do that. I am usually looking out for those things. I must have been not paying good enough attention. I guess not. I was thrown off. I thought, wait, wasn't there a female director? I did when I when I was um, getting dressed today. I was putting on this shirt that has two women talking, and it says, "You know what passes the Bechdel test? This shirt." And then I thought to myself, "Does the spite? Does No Way Home pass the Bechdel test?" Oh, 
does it? I, I didn't actually then answer the question to myself because I put on a different shirt, but does it? I don't think that it does. I don't think Betty Brand ever spoke to Mary Jane. Oh, did Anthony speak to Mary Jane at one point, but not about Peter? That would be the only other thing I would think of. Did Ned's grandmother? Oh, oh, that's true. Yeah. Although she might even have been talking about Food. Andrew Garfield. Yeah, that's also true. Yeah, the cobwebs. Yeah. <laughs> the cobweb while you're up there. Yeah. Oh, so cute. Oh, and then Daredevil popping up. Matt Murdock. Nice. So and the brick catches the brick. Yeah. Classic. He's a lawyer. Yes. Okay. He's a good lawyer. Yeah. Well, shall we move on from Spooderman? Okay. So sure. our next happy topic is... <laughs> It's called Young Justice. It's talking about Young Justice, but I've subtitled this segment as uh, Carol and the Bully because she <laughs> she bullied me, folks, into watching all of Young Justice in a That's matter nice. of days. <laughs> days. I couldn't go to work. I couldn't eat. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure I said sometime in the past couple of years, have you watched Young Justice? That's probably it. <laughs> That's probably the whole thing. She may or may sure. not be right, but you know, but I, then I, but then I did ask you again a couple of weeks ago yes. because of a very recent episode where, you know, Oracle is in some ears and Cass is kind of more central. Yes. So I, I wanted to watch Young Justice from the beginning because it had been a while and I never mm-hmm. watched season three though. I got it on Blu-ray. And so I'm glad that I did all of this rewatch because there are certainly callbacks to the first and second season, yeah. especially with like Artemis and those characters yeah. that I would not have known. And then of course there are Oracle moments, but I watched eight episodes yesterday because of the fear of punishment from Carolyn. So <laughs> we can talk about this now. So a <laughs> couple questions here. What are your thoughts on the origin, the origin of Oracle? Now we see in episode seven or eight, not sure which one it was, that Cassandra's mission, her Mm -hmm. only mission and the mission that she failed in from her mother, Lady Shiva, was to kill the Joker because the Joker was going against the light. And she is about to strike a lethal blow. And Mm -hmm. Barbara Gordon, as Batgirl leaps in front of the Joker back facing Cassandra and Cassandra slashes her back. And that is how it happens. And as Barbara is bleeding. Yes. Do we we know for sure that that is what made her Oracle? Not necessarily. That's true. Yeah. But she's not. I I know. I agree. (laughs) No, I took it that way too. When I saw it and I did not like it one bit. Oh, well. And then, and then I thought about it later and was like, well, maybe this was just an injury, but we don't know that it led directly to her being Oracle. It okay. isn't, odd, but we don't know. We don't know. That's true. So as she's laying bleeding out and Orphan is there, Cassandra's there, and you can tell she's very distraught, even though her mask covers everything. And Barbara holds her hand and says, I didn't do it to save Joker. I did it to save you. So those are very poignant words. So overall, would you say that that whole scene didn't sit well with you then? I think it was another way. It was, it seemed to me like it was trying to make some sort of compromise between fans or writers who wanted the Joker to still be involved in something in whatever made her Oracle, but to make Barbara the agent more of, of what happened and to be doing something heroic when it happened that would then teach one of her mentees an important lesson. 
So I understand it, but I did not enjoy it. What did you think? (laughs) I also understand it. I like that she is given more agency. So I like that she was in action when it happened because, you know, obviously that doesn't sit well with us in the killing joke. She's just drinking some cocoa. My problem, I guess, is that I'm not emotionally invested in the relationship because Mm -hmm. Cassandra just came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And from that moment, Barbara looks at her, I guess, sizes, I don't know, and is like, I need to save this person and and protects the Joker. I would have bought into it more had there already been a previous relationship between the two of them. So later on, we see in, in both of those episodes that Barbara really wants Cassandra back. She it's she's like a sister to her. And so if yeah. that relationship had been established before, I could totally see her yeah. leaping in front of that blade and doing that. But yeah, they're definitely yeah. telling us instead of showing us yeah. this relationship. So she's just giving chance to someone that she's not even met. So I think that's my only hesitancy to be 100% on board. And my other would be, I feel like... <laughs> Decision-making is one thing, but physically speaking, Cassandra doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Yeah. So, you know, she has such amazing control of her body that, I don't know, it it just seemed like maybe she could have stopped herself. True. Pulled it, yeah, pulled it back. And that means that Barbara would have had to have been super duper quick. Quicker than Cassandra? Quicker than Cassandra. Do you believe it? I don't either. As much as I love Barbara... And as much, yeah, yeah. as much as I enjoy the two of them each telling each other they're the best Batgirl, um, (laughs) no, I mean, Cassandra is in a class by herself, right? Even Batman says so. Yep, it is very true. Oh, boy. But I did love the moment, I guess it was episode eight, where everyone's escaping from Santa Prisca. And (laughs) Shiva comes out of the shadow area and like slices two of her own men and then is saying, you get back your daughter. If not, I'm going to go after and kill Barbara Gordon. And yeah. Cassandra loses it and she jumps out of there, fights her, and then stabs her. So you can tell how much. And then there's a nice little shot. They do these like little vignette, photo vignettes kind of at the end. They've been doing that a lot. And so one of them is of them too hugging, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So I believe in the relationship now. It's just like, whoop. Where was but it the before? way, but the way it just appeared was was odd. I agree, yeah. and I kind of thought it would keep going after that episode, and then they totally changed the set of characters after that. Yeah, so that was I was a little bummed about that. I was hoping for more of them. Yeah, it seems like they're doing arcs in this one because the first four episodes were certainly focusing on Megan. Yeah, And then now it seemed more Artemis related. And then mm-hmm. the next, I, I'm not caught up. So I have three episodes. It looked like Clarion was on there. So I don't know if Zatanna, Zatanna is the focus of the next arc. Uh, Are you not a fan like, of Clarion and Tico? No, not, not this Clarion. Anyway. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think he's pretty, I think he's pretty annoying, but it's like Vandal Savage, Dr. Fate, Clarion, oh. and then Zatanna and okay. a couple younger people including Mary Marvel. Um, So it's just, but it's more Vandal Savage than anybody else. And I just am having difficulty getting into these three. The last thing I want to ask you is about Megan and Connor (sighs) is now that relationship. (laughs) 
spoilers, that relationship has been basically what everyone has been following from the beginning of this entire show. And yes, they've had some bumpy patches and it seemed like they were reaching some happiness. And again, spoiler, Connor is dead. Now, do you think that Connor is dead? Because, okay, the Legion's around, so I feel like there's hope. Exactly. So I I assume those Legion people were there and they somehow got his consciousness out of there or something like that. But, but, but even so I was shocked. (laughs) I mean, I like, I was, I kind of kept waiting for him to come back up and I was like, are they, you know, at first you're just like, and then the meta brain kicks in, like, are they really doing this? Are they really doing this? Wow. And then the post-credit, the post-credit, oh man. Yeah, that was tough. That Danica, was really tough. Danica crying for three straight minutes, basically on their their altar or whatever you would call that that they built that they jointly separately built for their yeah. wedding. Yeah, so that was. I also liked in that first arc. I mean, they laid it on a little thick, but I appreciated what they were trying to do about you know they're they're talking about the importance of sort of found family you know kind of queer kinship networks and they're being anti-racist and whatever and i liked all of that as a package and then it ends with with her crying for 3 minutes yeah. it was tough final, you final, yeah you didn't get around to titans though did you i didn't and it's funny because each time donovan rages about it he hates it so much but he has to watch it for oh my god job. it's but it's like i think i said to you it's like driving by an accident I couldn't stop watching it oh, with, with Barbara. I was just like, <gasps> oh no. Okay. You know, just, and it's funny because every once in a while there would be a moment where I would be like, that's the Barbara Gordon I know. And then there would be five more things that I was like, oh my God. Is it so true she just, yells at Bruce? Well, you know, you can't go wrong with that. But yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. yeah there, there is that. But it's just, it's such an odd show because there are these. The, with all the characters, these moments where I feel like these are the characters I'm used to, it doesn't make it right or wrong, I know. And then there's a whole other bunch of stuff where I'm like, wow, they're really just taking liberties with established character traits, I guess. Oh okay. Um, well, it's So it's sometime when you have time, I would be curious to hear what you think. Yeah, I, I mean, I keep thinking about it. And so whenever Donovan rages, I'm like, well, Carolyn keeps telling me to watch. It. And he's like, don't listen to that woman. So it's because I don't want to be alone in I my understand. feelings. I understand. And I'm I understand. pretty confident you feel the same way that I, <laughs> I would. I hope to not uh, abandon you much longer. But I, the Young Justice, at least Young Justice is an enjoyable it's watch. Good. Yeah. And I become emotionally invested. So I guess yeah. teen or Titans will be a hate watch. And you just did three season three. So I'm, I'm, you're okay with me skipping first two seasons. Yeah. You won't, it, it, they'll tell you what you need to know to okay. catch you up. Um, I did watch, I would say I watched parts of the first two seasons, you know, like I kind of alternated reading summaries of episodes with watching okay. pieces of episodes. So but the the addition of Barbara is just so uh, I don't know. It's like a magnet to for me or something. I just have to know. I have I to know. I understand. I understand. Okay. Uh, final question about Young Justice. What are your thoughts on all the mourning and grief that they've packed onto Connor? But the fact that we and a lot. So I mean, Megan, of course, Artemis is really feeling it. Gar and then Clark. So those are the ones I think we've seen most Mm -hmm. ostensibly, but we didn't really get that a lot with Wally. Do you have any thoughts on that? 
out. I don't know why. Was it just timing? Because that was at the end of season two. So yeah, I I do think it's probably that because then when season three starts, aren't we supposed to have moved forward in time a little bit? I think two years. I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's why they didn't do as much. Whereas this is more of like an in real time kind of yeah. thing. Or I mean, I because I think. I think everybody loved Wally the same way everybody loved Connor, right? Yeah. So I don't think it's that. Okay. Well, here's hoping the shipping will continue. I was just like, what's happening? Why have you done this? (laughs) Okay. So the last topic is a serious topic. The only one we have before we get into... Guess we kind of did our find our joy with the the end of 2021. The review that we're going to do for this vintage stock. And this happened, I briefly talked about it to myself. No one else heard it a couple months ago. It must have been in October, I guess, when I went to see Legally Blonde and then Zoom crashed. And I thought, I'm not going through that again. But in watching Legally Blonde, the musical, which I think the film came out 2001, musical was like 2006. Seven-ish. Now I've forgotten because I had my show notes and I don't now. Whenever I heard in the musical, like whore or slut, I kind of shook a bit, which I wouldn't normally do. I think a few years ago, it wouldn't have affected me as much. And I was wondering as the chief feminist correspondent, <laughs> My my uh, sensei, do you feel like these terms? So I've I've put in a setter, et cetera, but like bitch, slut, whore, but specifically coming from women. So women to women, because I think that the sense is always the same when it's coming from a man, a man. But I feel like we used to be able to we as women um, say it in in good fun, you know, and, and it just be like, oh, pish posh or. I don't know, meeting each other on equals, but you're clearly angry at the other person. I think it's received differently than a man saying it to you. But now it just feels like, I don't know, we're not really post me too, but like in the midst of me too. And I think this call that, that all women need to be supportive of each other, that it really, it, I don't want to say triggering, but I kind of am taken aback as if it's like a heavier swear word. Do you how do you feel about this? Do you have these affected you differently when you're hearing them in the wild or not directed at you, but just like in a show or in a TV show that might have been in the past and it just feels different? Or is it just me? Yeah, I, no, no, I don't think it's just you. I think that I think that a lot of people are looking at older media and kind of blanching at certain words and treatment, you know, kind of overall treatment of people from certain demographic groups. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing if what used to get passed off as just being funny or people were only mad because they were too sensitive and the people who were always being accused of being too sensitive happened to be from like a marginalized group. um, I think if there's more awareness of that, that is a good thing because I think even with the... um, when you're talking about women saying it to other women, I think that's also pretty dependent on who the women are. So, um, you know, like the uh, re- uh, very recently passed away feminist author, Bell Hooks, mm. you know, would, would, would write a lot about second wave feminism in particular, but, you know, she was still saying kind of the same things. And very recently, not all women have the same privileges not all women have the same concerns. And so it's important to sort of pivot the center away from particularly more 
privileged, more upper class white women and to make sure to be inclusive of all other women who, of course, make up the majority of Earth anyway. (laughs) So (laughs) there's no reason for white privileged women to be at the center in the first place. Um, So I think that even within women, you can still have differences that are based on class and race and ethnicity and religion and region that makes those women unequal too. I think that between people who are equals, you should be able to pretty much say anything you want, as long as the other person is understanding how the thing is being said. If you're saying terms like that, because you're saying them with irony and you're reclaiming them, that's fine. But if you're saying it at someone that maybe you don't know that well, or if you're saying it at someone who maybe doesn't have the same privileges you do, then maybe it's not so funny. Um, So I guess that is that would be my my general take on it. What do you you feel I, like I agree you're, you're, you're hearing it with more discomfort now? I am like. hearing. And I mean, I I don't really want anyone to be calling me any of these terms. There's one term in particular that if anyone says it in my presence, I will ask them not to. And that's the C word. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably my least favorite word in the English lexicon. Although I would point out if they're British, it's not Isn't really that weird. That's level. so weird. Yeah. Yeah. Which I want to go to, <laughs> I want to go to England. So I'm like, oh gosh, I have to deal with, you know, hearing that in the vernacular. Yes, you will. And when <laughs> I, when I was a junior in college and I did study abroad in England, I was like, oh my God, what <laughs> what's happening? Yeah. And then I kind of realized that at least among my particular circle of British friends that I made calling someone a cow was worse. Like, oh, okay. I didn't realize, but for us, that tends to be the word. Yeah. I agree. It's, it's interesting. There was someone, one of my coworkers that was just talking, some of them talk to themselves and like pep each other up, but they pep each other up in like a negative way. And she said, and what's, what was the quote? Oh, I'll say two swears. So here we go. She (laughs) said, okay, let's get this done bitch and i'm just sitting there because it was right behind me like what i think i didn't make audibly make a sound but i'm just like why why would that pep you up like that's something that just is sad sad to me and well, i guess you can just it, take it but if they have an understand i mean if the person saying it to themselves hears it in a certain way or if someone says it to someone else and they have an understanding that they're kind of reclaiming this word in an empowering way then it's one thing. It's just that you have to make sure you have that understanding with someone. It's true. Yeah. And I think that the, what we, you know, very often when you, uh, I'll just repeat kind of the very often when you hear someone saying that, Oh, I just made a joke. You're being too sensitive. You know, you probably maybe should think about that. If someone is telling you that a thing that you said was hurtful instead of blaming them for being too sensitive, maybe rethink that, that the thing you said doesn't seem like it's that difficult. It just is about having empathy, you know? I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. Well, I don't think these terms are going away, but yeah. but hopefully, I, my hope is that just as women, we're, we're bandied together. So there's nothing more disappointing. Well, I shouldn't say that. There are a few things more disappointing than when I'm witnessing a woman tear down another woman, whether it's like professionally or personally, just because I feel like we've got to stick together. So so that's my my hope there. But I don't use those terms. I use chick, but I think that's allowed. You know, I use chick and lady and woman. But I think I'm allowed to use those terms. I don't want a man saying, hey, chick, I don't want that. But I think I'm allowed to say it woman to woman. 
okay. Oh. But, some, but, some, but some people hate check, hate it. Oh, so you well, have to think about true. that. Right. Like, so you, you are comfortable with it, but that doesn't mean that somebody else is. You're right. And so if they told me, please don't call me chick, then, then I, you don't do it. That is correct. Right. And I would apologize, right. of course. And, yeah. and again, that's the response. Like if someone, not you personally, but just if someone tells you that something that you have said hurts them, then it is on you, yeah. not on yeah. them to toughen up. Just it don't say strange. the thing to them. Why would Absolutely. you say a thing that bothers somebody? Right. I don't know. In my defense, I say it about people off the street. I say, what's this chick doing? So they never know, but I take your lesson. That's that's what I preach about anti-racism too. You got to, yeah, own what you did and apologize and then uh, move forward. Yeah. So, well, thank you. Thank you for discussing and bringing your wisdom to that topic. I'm not sure how much wisdom it was, but it's, yeah, it's just about listening and having empathy and meeting people where they are because it may not be the same place you are. It's very true. Okay, well, as bad as transitions are, sometimes we are transitioning to actual comics. Uh, I don't even like the cover of this. (laughs) So friends, if you remember, I was going to do this like two months ago or something, and I just couldn't do it. I looked through it and I thought, I'm not, I I can't do it. I don't know. I just had no motivation. Can you scroll down just to show the bottom half of it a little more? So this kind of woman pose drives me nuts. (laughs) No, no, no one stands like that unless they are, you know, like lowering themselves to a toilet. That's what I think of when I look at it. Interesting. Sliding down the wall. Yeah. Like I have to pee now because otherwise women tend not to stand holding in their stomach, sticking out their chest and sticking out their butt. It's just not, not a thing. Well, maybe I shouldn't speak. I will not speak for all women, but yeah, (laughs) I think in general, it's not a common pose but it is common in superhero comics of the of the 80s to the early 2000s yeah uh it also looks like she's biting her lower lip but that might just be me right it looks like a pouty scaredy face which i also don't appreciate much this this isn't bill sinkevich though right who did the cover i don't think so and i've forgotten who did oh look i'm giving oh i don't know i'd have you can always guggenate guggenate while i give the synopsis okay Okay, so I'm going to give a synopsis for this. It's called DC First, Batgirl slash Joker. And the story is called Clown Time. July 2002 is the cover date. Writer Stephen Grant, pencilers Bill Sienkiewicz, and Terry Moore. And I'll show you later on where that break is. Inkers Bill Sienkiewicz and Jimmy Palmiotti. And then color Sherilyn Van Valkenburg. Okay, so Cassandra Kane's Batgirl, because I'm going to need to specify, bursts onto the scene of a concert turned heist led by former Soviet military special forces called Radovic. Several of the Ruskies are being accidentally killed by their own people. Please remember this detail. The leader threatens to kill the drummer. He already machine guns the lead singer, who is apparently very valuable. And then the leader gets away. I have a question about that later on. Later at the clock tower, Babs tells Cass that she did well, but Cass says she wasn't good enough since there were many dead. And she also neglects to mention that the bad guy got away. (laughs) 
Babs blows it off in a, you know, it is what it is. It asked quad, it asked or say la vie kind of way. And, you know, you do the best you can given the circumstance. Cass tries to say Babs doesn't understand. And then Babs says, hey, a quote I would say, listen, lady, that's me actually. And rolls a yarn about her first encounter with Joker as Backroll. In the early days, apparently, being Backroll was fun and a sport. <laughs> I don't get where this is coming from. Unfortunately, she learned the hard way about her mistakes and that it was not all fun and games. She figured out Joker's intended victims. He was on some sort of murder spree, but it was a trap. Admiral Akbar was there with us because Joker killed them in front of her. She says them, but it just looks like one person. So I'm a bit confused about that. Then he knocks her out and attaches her later on to a spinning murder board. And she he he's throwing knives at her. Joker explains it's rigged, but she will die nonetheless. She is able to get out of her shackles by the time Batman arrives. And Joker is accidentally shooting his crew accidentally on purpose and even shoots Batman in the head. My question is how? And Barbara thinks that it's her fault that he got shot. Batgirl quickly realizes that everything she does, Joker turns into a joke. So she starts laughing at him, which seems to be his kryptonite. And he goes nuts because he doesn't like people laughing at him. It opens him up to attack and she takes him out. This interaction changed her outlook forever. She then briefly reflects on the killing joke and Cass says that she gets her point. Well, clearly Cass did not get her point as she thinks it means to go after the Joker who is inside Arkham Asylum. So she has to break him out before she can fight him. Barbara is furious and calls Dinah to help. And Dinah says that Barbara needs to call Batman. And Barbara apparently, for whatever reason, is nervous because it's Batman. And it's even scarier when Batman doesn't yell. Joker wakes up from whatever Cass injected him with and immediately jumps off of the building. Batgirl saves him but gets knocked out in the process. When she wakes up, she follows a trail of bread slices, which I did think was funny. She sees Joker has drawn a smile on her mask and she rips the bottom half off. As she follows Joker, Black Canary and Batman follow her and Batman says to Black Canary as one says to a dog, leave it, i.e. Cass has to finish this situation. Cass falls into a trap, seems like multiple, and falls out of a building and continues on. Joker goes to some sort of club and shoots the manager because of the ultimate betrayal. He's not funny. But Cass prevents him from killing the manager with a battering. A fight ensues and somehow Joker destroys Cass's arm, numbs it, it seems. Canary and readers, I think, wonder how this is possible. But Batman mansplains and says that Cass can't translate Joker's body language because it's gibberish. Batman doesn't let Dinah intervene. Cass suddenly thinks of Babs' lesson and feigns disinterest and calls Joker boring. This sets him off and he opens himself up to attack and, like mother, like daughter, knocks him out. Batman appears and says, never again, and to get him back to Arkham Asylum. She returns to Babs and Babs is relieved and upset. Also, Batman pulls a disappearing act. Cass admits she had to prove that she is as good as Babs. Babs says she originally didn't want Cass to be Batgirl and it was Batman's idea, but now she admits he was right. It's not a competition, but a team and that they all want each other to be the best blank as possible. So the best Batgirl as possible, Nightwing, etc. But Cass can't be the best Batgirl possible because 
Barbara was the best girl. Dun, 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 dun. And thus ends this, this right here. Okay, we'll start off easy, shall we? So we talked about the cover a bit. Thank you very much for that. Thoughts on the art overall? I guess the two sections, of course. So the majority of it is Bill Sienkiewicz. And then we have the flashback of Barbara as Batgirl. That's where we have Terry Moore. And you can kind of see, if you're a fan of, of Terry Moore's work, you can definitely see his his style in that. I wasn't sure, but it also mentions Jimmy Palmiotti. So I wasn't really sure what was his. I know? have I have in my, when I was looking it up anyways, that he was mm-hmm. a colorist with uh, oh. Sienkiewicz. Okay. Or an inker, sorry. Okay. I li- I think it was a good idea to use the two different artists. I mean, I like it when a flashback looks different from the main part of the story. Um, I think Bill Sienkiewicz's art is, is brilliant, as a lot of people do. I'm just not used to it here. So I feel like it's not quite fair to say it doesn't work, but it doesn't really work for me. I guess I'm used to him on like New Mutants and Electra, Daredevil, stuff like that. But here to me, the way, especially in the beginning pages, his cast looks kind of like older and thicker as opposed to younger and petite doesn't quite work for me because I think that's part of her thing that she seems kind of small. I do like there's a there's a panel that I think is like perfect Sienkiewicz uh, with bats where it's, it's it's on the bottom of what I guess you could consider page five where Cass is kind of in the shadow of a bat. She like, it's like a bat shaped shadow and she's sort of in the middle of it. But so I think the, you know, the art is good in that Bill Sienkiewicz is a super talented guy. It just didn't quite work for me with, with Cass. What did you think? I don't, like his art from this i would say i don't like his art i just felt when i first opened it up oh there are just so many lines so many lines like maybe too many and so for me yeah it was it took a little bit to get into and i don't know how much experience i'm sure i've probably seen other sinkevich work but so i i think i'll just agree with you and say that it doesn't work for me here but i just might be like it, I, I don't like it here more specifically. I don't know. It also has like a feel, some Denny O'Neill situations too. It kind of looks, am I thinking of the right guy? But anyways. I don't think um, so. Denny O'Neill wrote, he didn't draw. Yeah. I'm trying to think of who I mean. I'll think about it, but thank okay. you. Thank you for woman-splaining me. <laughs> <laughs> so I would, yeah, uh, it got better, but that, that was initially what turned me off and why I didn't want to read it. And then, of course I saw the Joker. The flashbacks, I mean, there's some cool things. Like, I think that that's mm-hmm. a really cool image right there where. Yeah, I like the frame. The framing yeah. of it is cool with Babs in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really like Terry Moore. I feel like I've read everything that he's written. Well, all of his contained stories. And I know that he does have a short segment, I think, on some Birds of Prey. So that'll be interesting. But I totally see some of his art style here as we're going through it. So, mm-hmm. so it's okay. Okay, so now I'm getting into the whoo, these questions. First of all, would Cassandra have a I shouldn't say allowed, but do you think this death, this first death, isn't it this one would have? I guess it's that guy, right? Where basically she jumped out of the way and someone gets gets killed because we know that Cass is all about no one dies. And she holds on to it to a certain extent, but even as she's talking to Barbara, and I know what she's saying, but doesn't carry the weight that I think I'm used to when reading her actual stories. 
Yes. I mean, I think I, I think I read it the same way that, that you did. Like I was surprised by it because I mean, it's kind of a big thing. Wasn't there um, kind of an early Batgirl issue where Cass, where someone dies and she's very right. Yep. Did you talk about it with Donovan maybe? Yeah. Um, so this just doesn't seem to carry the same weight as that. I would agree. So when I saw someone die, I thought, who, what, what, what is this? So already my hackles were up or there were red flags, I think, to a certain extent. Do you feel like this man gets away? I mean, what is the resolution here? He's shooting everyone. And here at the bottom of this page, Cass, it literally looks like Cassandra, well, Batgirl is watching this man go away. And then, of course. I agree. That's what it looks like. Okay. But then she's told, you know, good job from Barbara. How is that even remotely close to being a good job? Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. I mean, I just have a lot of, I'm confused questions. I may not have answers to all of your questions. That's fine. <laughs> that just means that I read it correctly and I'm not alone in my confusion. Or okay. the latter anyway. Yes. <laughs> what do you think about, and and this is, I guess Barbara, we can just talk about Barbara's overall characterization here, but she seems, I called it in my show notes, which I misspelled it, but laissez-faire. She has a very laissez-faire attitude of, you know, you did a good job. You know, I know just got to pick yourself up. Hey, whatever happens, happens. I don't, would you, there's like no gravitas with Barbara here. No, (laughs) (laughs) I I agree with you again. Okay. So then the other, this might be be a pretty short discussion. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. We can speed through this thing. So the other one moment that pull that pulled me away was after Cass left and she realizes what she's done and she has this. Nope. Well, that's a, that's not an attractive barber, by the way. Where was that? Ooh, not so sure about that. That's another thing about his art is just Barbara doesn't look as attractive as I'm I'm used to. But this mo- where she's frightened, she's nervous about how Batman's going to react. Why? She doesn't give a flying you know what about that. And she's given as good as she's gotten from him. So do you feel like this rings false as well? <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. So oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. That's bad radio. I'm nodding. I'm nodding. Well, yes, she was not. At first, she was shaking her head, but I think it was, she wasn't sure where I was going with my question. But yeah, I just couldn't believe that he'll yell at me. She's like nervous about this. I I just couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe no. it. Okay. Her origin story, all fun and games. Now, this is not the first time I've read this recently, but I can't remember where it was that I read it. It happened this year that this origin is, you know, she just put it on and she did put on the costume for a lark originally, but once she actually realized what it meant, I felt like the fun and games was gone, but this is like, she knows what it means, but she's also up for fun, fun and games. I mean, is this just a new reading of uh, this is 2002, but I can't remember about this other thing. I think it was like a nightwing or something. Anyways, Ooh, I, what do you think about this origin story? Can we go with it? Or are we being too hard on it? No, I, I felt like they were trying to call to, you know, literally her first appearance where she does it. She makes the costume for a lark to make, you know, to so her father sees it at the ball or whatever. And then she sort of thinks that the adventure of it is interesting and perhaps fun. But that's one issue. 
You know, it doesn't that doesn't mean her whole early tenure as Batgirl was fun and games. I mean, just it, painting her like that just makes it seem like she's not serious at all, which I think is not accurate. Yeah. I mean, if it were like, you know, day one, I thought it was going to be fun and games. Yeah. Okay. But not after that, really. I would agree. And I don't think, I mean, going into the Joker thinking it's going to be fun and games. I mean, there's no sense of danger. Like she's being very flippant about who mm-hmm. this guy is and, and how dangerous he is. And I just don't see that as as being something Barbara would do. Even though I love her, I could almost see that being something Stephanie would do in her, like, you know, first bout, like really coming up against someone like I can do this, but not, and then making a grave error. But I, I don't know about Barbara. Okay. Well, we're, we're still in agreement folks. So this, I agree. Is, this is good. This is cementing our friendship here. <laughs> I, I just, yeah, a, a note or a question. I don't know if, if he was in this flashback, he had a bunch of victims and he shot them all at once or it was just one at a time. I mean, this is just a detail that we don't necessarily need the answer to, but it does say all I got was a ringside seat when he murdered them. But it just looks like one person. And it I was, was she messing up multiple times and saw multiple killings? And then the final one, she gets knocked out because that's really bad. If that's <laughs> that would be like, oh, Barbara, you should not be back girl if this is happening multiple times and multiple people have died. And also, why isn't ba- Batman around if this is true? So that's like a confusing story point that I wasn't totally following. Yep. These are all valid questions. Thank you. Thank you. Laughing at the Joker seems to be a theme. And actually, it's the second time that you've been on that we've talked about this. I can't remember what modern Batgirl it was, but we read one that we didn't like. Maybe it was 47, 48, I don't know. But she laughs at him. And I remember you had brought up a quote from Margaret Atwood about, I think it's something like, what does a man fear? And then can you guess what Yeah. Uh, Men are afraid that women will laugh at them. Women are afraid that men will kill them. Yes. Yeah. It was, I think it was a, it was a Castellucci issue, right? I think so. And so I think I was just saying, because the whole thing was about, hi, I just laughed at him and then everything was fine. And she quoted the first half of the Margaret Atwood, but not the second half, which is really the chilling part. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Also, where's her hair? But anyway. Right there in the back. Yeah, I know. It it yes, Alan is probably wondering the same thing, Professor Alan, my chief hairstyle correspondent. I don't know. Yes, you'd think you'd be able to see it on the in that bottom left panel there. And then she then you can see her in profile. But is this do you is this believable, you think, for for Joker? And it seems to be the standard now for I shouldn't say standard, but we've seen it more than once. So now I'm like, well, is this the status quo of that's how a Batgirl can get at a Joker is by laughing at him. Okay. I guess I appreciate what they're trying to do here, but I just feel like it's been done a number of times. The Joker's crazy. He's unpredictable. He's very violent. He only cares about Batman. He hates it when you laugh at him because he likes to be the one to make the jokes. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I get it. We've, but we've just seen it a few times. Maybe we hadn't seen it a few times in 2002. Yeah. But I, I kind of feel like we have now. So I just, yeah. I mean, also, I understand the idea of you're laughing at him because he hates it. But maybe instead of laughing at him, you could like take him down and arrest him. I don't know. It's just an idea. 
Do you think laughing at him could have saved her from the killing joke? No, I think he would have shot her twice. <laughs> you know? I mean, if he, if he hates it, then yeah, why, yeah. It, it, why would it not just make him more angry instead of making him put off balance or something? If he's violent and unpredictable, why would this even work in the first place? You know? Yeah. I guess he just gets, he really opens himself up to attack. Yeah, I guess. A note on the cowl situation. Do you think this is believable uh, that Batman well, is shot by a bullet? Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like it goes right through his head, Yep, which is a lot. But I guess <laughs> we're supposed to think it grazed the side and just was really bloody or something. Yeah. And then he now that's something I complained about in the killing joke, because whoever I guess it was Joker who ripped off his mask. And I thought, can you really should you be able to do that to Batman's couch and have some sort of hard shell to it? Mm-hmm. But then also he's carted off by ambulance. And I didn't think that that was realistic. Do you think Batman can go to Met- Gotham General? No, I think <laughs> somebody would call Leslie. Uh, right. I would Leslie, come and stitch him up or Alfred would do it. You know, yeah. Probably Barbara would be the there one. There are contingency plans for these things. Yes. So then we get into this where Cass has this bright idea to uh, do this whole thing. So several questions on this. Number one, <laughs> would Cassandra do this insane thing? And how on earth does she make the, the connection to do this? Because even Barbara says, like, I think she got out of what I said. Da, 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 da. And I thought, how can you get out of that? What you just said. I don't think this is a good idea, what she's doing. No. Okay. Can you make the leap that she made? The <laughs> leap in logic? <laughs> it is not something I would have thought she would do. I would agree. Yeah. It just seems insane to go to Arkham, to break somebody out whom I feel like she knows is really lethal and dangerous and knows uh-huh. everything about him more so than Barbara does. So she's on the other side where she knows everything there is to know potentially about the Joker just to test herself seems pretty ridiculous. I don't know how she gets the drugs because that doesn't seem like she would have in stock. And then just that, that leap in logic and Barbara even somewhat uh, says that it's, you know, I might've accidentally suggested that she had to fight him to prove herself. How is, I don't get that leap. There's like some sort of fallacy going on. No, I didn't see that. Yeah. Did not see that happening. Okay. I do like that. Donna's the one Babs calls. I think that's a positive aspect of this, that yeah, she's freaking out. She wants her help, but Donna's like, no, this is not the job for black canary. It's the job for Batman, which I think makes somewhat sense, even though I'm sorry that Donna thinks that way of her. Would Batman allow this after he knows, of course, given that he didn't want Cass going after her father? I mean, this seems to me much worse. Can I? Uh, yes. I would also say something else about this page. When when the oh, Joker is sure. involved, you don't call the Black Canary, you call Batman? Yes. But well, <laughs> why can't you call the Black Canary? Well, that's what I, well, I, you, uh, I contradicted to you 30 seconds ago, but because I thought, well, it's a Batman villain, maybe, but you're right. I mean, if Dinah is the one who I would say is like top five fighter of the DC, hopefully she'd be able to take Joker down. So I, I guess yeah. I can, I can see that. I guess I just thought it was on. I don't know. Are we almost done here? <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh yeah. We'll speed through. She's wow. I can't wait to hear your rating. That's fine. Did no, I just, do? I just was, I like you, I just, every couple of shots was shaking my head, you know? Yeah. yeah I understand. Yeah. 
I, like I said, I did enjoy the the bread. I thought that that was actually somewhat funny. And mm-hmm. then the, the ripping off of the mask, I thought, oh, well, that's like the the cast. And of course, she has to sew it back on. Okay. Does, does, she, does she usually wear lipstick? No. No, she no. But I mean, <laughs> ripping off. <laughs> I know, but did oh, you see oh, it on, oh, oh. No, on, on the uh, next look in the upper left-hand corner there? No, no. Do you think maybe she just has really ruby red lips? Hmm. That must <laughs> be what it is. Yeah. I don't know what to say. Okay. The fight between Cass and Joker. We are almost over. Don't, uh, don't worry. <sighs> what, what do you think? Do you, is this believable that because his body movements are gibberish, she, she can't handle his uh, fighting skills as well. And that, and whatever he does to her arm, which I'm not sure, but this is certainly something I always ask when he fights Batman. Like why, why can't Batman just knock him out? What's going on here? Is this believable coming from Batman? His, his mansplaining, his batsplaining explanation. I feel like we've seen this before. Have we not seen this explanation before? For Cass? No, for anyone about Um, how the Joker is unpredictable. So I suppose. So that's like the go-to, I guess. I, I feel like I've seen it before, but I have not been able to put my finger on it over the last several days that I've been thinking about it, um, But it, and which is kind of bugging me. But I think that Cass has a great advantage in her being able to read people. But I think it's also true that even if she were not reading people, she would still be a good fighter. I know despite the whole plot line of when she first, oh God. I don't know. You're not there yet, right? That in her, in her own comic, when she gets, um, uh, what happens? Someone does something to her brain, and then, yes, yes, I'm there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So then she worries that she doesn't have the same skills that she used to, and she fights Shiva and all that kind of stuff, right? Yep. Okay. But she's also extremely well trained, right? So even if she doesn't have the upper hand over someone like Shiva, 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 right away. <laughs> Why? I know. I was. I was just thinking it when I said it. Um, it just seems like the Joker is not in the League of Shadows league of hand-to-hand fighters, is he? So why would it be that much of a problem? Yeah, I don't know. Could do you think Taskmaster is is Joker so unpredictable that Taskmaster would be unable to catalog his moves? I mean, is that what we're saying about Joker? I think that's what they're trying to tell us. Yeah. But it kind of seems unlikely because I think most people have signature moves that they think are most effective and that they're most comfortable with. So he probably does too. And you'd think Batman would know some of them at this point. One would think, one would think. Okay. Final question. And then you can breathe a sigh of relief. No, I I do. I really do see what they're, what they're trying to do. It just didn't work for me. Oh, I understand. The final conversation between Barbara and Cass, I guess I'll just say thoughts. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah. So, you know, all the way through this, I was kind of like, eh, eh, eh. And then I kind of got to the very end and I was like, oh, (laughs) you know, so I did have, I don't feel like for me, it, it redeemed the whole thing, but I, do appreciate showing how much they respect each other. Yes. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I think I would just say Cass goes to extremes to show that. I feel like there could have been another way. Could there have been another villain? I guess just go to the extreme and choose Joker. But, you know, how 
nostalgic would it be if if Cass had broken out Killer Moth? <laughs> Though I guess that would have been a very easy fight, but it would it would have been fun to see that. But yeah, just and and I think the realization too for Babs of maybe I don't want to say that maybe she thinks no one respects her, but I think maybe she didn't know how much someone did respect her or highly regard her uh, and appreciate her, her term as mm-hmm. Batgirl, because there certainly have been times stories that Barbara's like, what good am I, you know, especially what crisis on infinite earth 11, you know, what, what good am I, how am I helping Gotham? And so I think this almost validates that for her. So I think it is, I agree with you, a beautiful moment between the two and, and at least we can see that relationship. So that's probably the most positive yeah. part of the whole issue. <laughs> Ah, okay. Well, rating out of, uh, I don't even know, 10 Arkham Asylum break-ins. This might, I mean, someone else might react very differently to this. I just feel like I've seen elements of this story before. Mm -hmm. So I was not very patient with it. And like I said, I mean, I think Bill Sinkevich is a great artist. It just didn't work for me here. Yeah. Um, I did like the end. I liked the way that the flashback was different art. So I guess I would give it a seven. That's higher than I had imagined you giving it. Well, I'm trying to, again, I'm trying to think of like, you know, the, the way I felt about it was lower sure. than that, but I, but I don't think it's oh I see. inherently unworthy, you know? Yes. Yeah. My rating is kind of a compromise between those two things. I understand. I think I might give it a five or a six. So I'll, I'll be more generous and give it a six. Not really as down with the art, in my opinion, as you can hear from all of the things that I've been asking. I had many questions about the story that just didn't, well, questions that I think is just wasn't plotted as well. And then I think characters making decisions that were a bit bizarre and maybe misleading character-wise. But the positives, of course, would just be seeing Barbara Gordon and and cast together and Dinah popping up and then having that moment at the end. Yeah. So there are positives for sure. Yeah. Okie dokie. Well, I do have one listener email. Mail It's short. It's from Ian Prime. Okay. Regarding episode 213. He says, Dear Stella, what a lovely guest your priest was. Very knowledgeable, full of energy and curiosity and grace. I wonder, have you read the Eagle of the Ninth novel? I continue to wait with bated breath for the Batgirl's title. I'm curious what cover or covers you are going or hoping to get, Ian Prime. Well, I have not read The Eagle of the Ninth, though I should probably put that on my my reading list since we, of course, talked about it. And then I ended up getting the digital copy of that. I haven't gotten print comics in a while, so now I've been doing the, the digital. But I feel like once the trade comes out, I'll probably collect it that way as well. But all of the covers, I wish I, I had thought about this in the early morning when I was doing some prep for the show that, well, I could maybe get <laughs> the cover images to show everyone. But they're they're all wonderful. And probably maybe the Babs Tar one, just because I'm a big fan of Babs Tar. But also, uh, I think the cover image that I put on this episode cover is a really cool one as well. But many of them just have Cass and Steph and not Babs, which is interesting. So the one that's, 
I guess the primary cover that comes out for Batgirls number one, you have the the two, Steph and Cass, and then Batgirls, or Barbara, sorry, is up there in the corner. And I wonder what that's saying about the the story, or I shouldn't say the story, but the book as a whole, which is a question that I'll have later on. It just feels very symbolic to me. But anyways, we'll get into that. Okay, well, we're going to take a break. <gasps> when we come back, heavens, we are going to cover... Some modern quickies, including Batman, Urban Legends, Joker, and Nightwing. And then we will do a full review of Batgirls number one. But first, Zias' Radio Hour, featuring Athena by Tristan. Okay, we are back and we're going to do some modern stuff. Lots of comics came out this month. I guess that's true of every month, but lots of Batman comics came out. So Barbara does not appear in Batman Fear State Omega. We don't have to cover it. 
Barbara doesn't appear in Batman 2021 annual. Don't have to even talk about it. Okay. Now she does appear in the Nightwing 20. I don't even know why I'm saying that. The Nightwing annual number one, which did come out in 2021. And the title is called Blood Brothers. Writer Tom Taylor, pencil Cian Tormey. And Daniel HDR, what a last name. Inkers, Cian Tormey, and Raul Fernandez, and Daniel HDR. And colorists Rain Barreto and John Kalitz. Dick Grayson and Jason Todd, the first Robins, both long ago stepped out of the shadow of the bat and began walking very different paths on their respective journeys to become who they are today. But now their paths converge and these two brothers unite for one goal with a scream of stick and a crowbar combined. Oh, dear. Nightwing and Red Hood are ready for anything, anything except what they have to face next. Don't miss out on this explosive adventure. So Babs and Dick and Haley watch some body cam footage from a cop that shows Jason Todd, in quotation marks, murdering several agents and a confidential informant. Oh, my goodness. Dick talks about being fired in the past at one point. Now, I do. you know how I like when Batman fires people. And then Barbara <laughs> follows along on the mission as Oracle and provides aid in the field. I don't think there's any need for me to go through this. I thought it was fun, though, like a buddy cop and, and see these two uh, young men together. And then there is a funny moment of like a dick being in the form of a crowbar to sort of you know make fun of jason but other than that yeah what do you what do you think about batman firing people do you does it upset you (laughs) it depends on why he's firing them (laughs) but no i mean i it's i mean if they're going around murdering people repeatedly that's Uh not great that's not great but um (laughs) but i think you know he's made mistakes too and is some true. of the people that he's dealing with are really quite young. Yeah. So uh, I think he needs to maybe make some allowances for stuff like that. Did you, do you remember years ago? It might've been this year. I don't know. I played that game with Donovan about, you know, should they be fired or not? Do you yes. feel like you fired? <laughs> do you feel like you fired a lot of those people because of their mistakes? Like Alfred not making the lobster properly and Batman had food poisoning and, and someone died in an alley because of it. Should Alfred be fired? Or or Batman's intestine should be fired. And <laughs> there you go. Ah, okay. The Joker annual number one. All right. Yes. I, was, I had trepidation when I saw the title of this. I then, agree. Yes. But it turns out to be a Jim Gordon story. So I'm in. It seems like it should, this whole book, each time I usually scan through it just to see if Barbara pops up. But the main reason why I even do that is because Donovan pointed my attention to it because this is where it was revealed that Jim has known all along Barbara's secret, secret, not so secret identity. But I feel like this is a Jim Gordon book. I don't know why they don't call it James Gordon, except maybe they think that it's not going to sell as well as the Joker, which might be true. So it's all about the monies. But yes, this annual, I think I, again, just scanned through it and uh, all of a sudden we're having some Jim and and Barbara moments. So I thought we should at least talk about those. So this is the annual and the subtitle is El Mal Duerme Bien. Writer Matthew Rosenberg and James Tynion IV, artist Francesco Francavella, his 
that's it. Okay. His first year of being GCPD police commissioner was an intense challenge for James Gordon. He battled corruption in the ranks. His marriage was in shambles and the vigilante Batman was clearly welcoming new recruits with the appearance of Batgirl. And the Joker picked his moment to unleash hell. So I just want to actually talk about the, the scenes that we have between Jim and Babs, not necessarily the, the story as a whole. That's not the that's not what this show is about. So I guess I'll just say, you know, how do you feel about some of these scenes here? This first one, she's attempting to have dinner with her father and she brings up that she's spoken with her mother and JJ hasn't been doing so well. And Jim says he has a lot of work and can't visit. But Babs actually tells him he call, she calls him out and says, you know, don't choose the Joker over JJ dad. And uh, he says, that's not fair. And then, of course, later on, she a call comes out or comes in about cat man, we find out, but they say cat woman and they both leave at the same time. And he tells her to be safe. And she says, it's the library. And then he says, I know. So this is kind of the wink, wink, nod that this is, these are some of the hints that we knew all along. But I guess just looking at this first scene and kind of dancing around the relationships and the family thoughts. Well, I... I was just happy to see the mention of a library. That's great. <laughs> so thumbs up for the library, thumbs down for mentioning JJ. Yeah. I just hate that dude. Um, thumbs up for Francesco Francavia oh, with the sure. oral accents throughout. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's you, you see it here, but you see it all the way through yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. And was he the artist on Black Mirror? I'm trying to think now. I don't know. Okay. I'm just trying to think back. Speaking of artists, now I made that faux pas about Denny O'Neill. I checked in with Donovan. At first, he didn't know what I was talking about. And then I had to clarify. It's Neil Adams is who I was oh, thinking about. I don't think he makes as many lines as Sienkiewicz, does he? I, I don't know. We'd, I'd have to pull up dual images and compare. But sometimes- Well, I think there was cross-hatched Batman chest yeah. hair. Oh, I, yeah. When he's fighting Rachel Ghoul, I think that's Neil Adams. Yeah. All the ladies go wild. <laughs> yeah. Okay. In 1977, I'm sure they did. Absolutely. So, yes, I like the dance about um, Jim knows that she's that girl. Yes. What do you think, though, about this idea of if he fires people, it puts, if he fires bad cops, it just puts them on the street. That was kind of a part of what she's. Yeah. In the for. afterwards, right when he's yeah cleaning shop, yeah. I think that is. But what else do, are you going to do? It like he's in a really poor position. He's basically yeah. Odysseus trying to decide between you know the Kerbidus or the Scylla, right? <laughs> to be a classics nerd, because you keep him. Do you keep them in at the police department and there's shady stuff going on, or do you get rid of them? Yeah. So I so I did like their banter here. Um, but that part, I was, I felt like she was kind of being, you know, maybe that wasn't so fair, but she's supposed to be young. So yeah. I get that. Yeah. Do you agree? Let's see here that she's, she sort of is saying that maybe Jim has appropriated Batman's mission and that's where that's coming from. Or is this just in the heat of the, of the moment that she's ascribing that to him? Wait, I thought it was Jim saying that it's Barbara saying that I Yes, even though that curves. Well, I only say it because it continues on the bottom one that uh, she says, this is him talking, isn't it? The Batman, he's some moral absolute absolutist taking matters. So that's why I feel like it is her calling him out and saying, you're just trying to be like Batman. Okay. 
you can't solve crime all by yourself, which is interesting, though, if only because I feel like, oh, my gosh, is Barbara a hypocrite because she's working with Batman. It'd be a completely different thing if she were separated from Batman because she feels like he's too extreme. But there, you know, pages before this, she was actually fighting Catman alongside of Batman. So I'm not sure where this is coming from. And it does seem somewhat hypocritical that she's calling her father out when she's doing the same thing, or at least by extension, I guess, condoning it if she's working with Batman. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I liked the art more than I liked the (laughs) The story. Okay. I mean, because we've seen, you know, we've seen this kind of like that, that last one we talked about, we've, we've kind of seen this before, right? Yeah. You know, he's clean, he's cleaning up the Gotham PD. We've seen that. (laughs) not infrequently. Yes. Yeah. So Uh, I think, yeah, the probably the most positive moments are certainly trying to figure out, does he know? And knowing that he does, but, um, and also his concern when she's, you know, I don't like calling her. Yeah. So some respect for the woman who just did your job for you and that he's a nervous father at one point. Is that, uh, wait, that, see that, that panel on the right there with Catman that remind that made me think of Over the Edge, my favorite oh, Batman the oh, animated Yes. And that's what oh yeah. That's when everyone loses it. That we know if Barbara Gordon yep. dies, everyone's gonna it's not gonna be good. Yeah. No, it is not. Yeah. But I do like how quickly he changes into father mode because at first he says, give them space. And then all yeah. of a sudden he's like, wait, once, you know, his daughter's in danger. <laughs> Forget, Forget what, I what I said. Yeah. <laughs> so that's very cool. Okay. We shall move on to the next. Is it 118? 118, she does appear. I don't think we need to cover it, though. So this is The Abyss Part 1. Now it's a party. Writer Joshua Williamson. Artists George Molina and Mikhail Janin. And colorist Tomu Mori. Uh, new creative team, of course. Start of a new story arc. As Gotham celebrates surviving Fear State, Batman retreats alone into the darkness. Uh, I feel like I've he's done that multiple times. But when he learns of a mystery involving Batman Inc., it forces the Caped Crusader to leave Gotham for a brand new adventure. Thrills, chills, and international intrigue await. Babs is here. She's casual Oracle. And I couldn't tell if she was at Dick's place or the new place that she bought for the back rolls, but it seems like she's at uh, Dick's place, I think. And actually jokes around with Batman about Batman having some fun bringing back the superstition of the Batman. She tells him he should take the night off and offers other alternatives, but she ends up jinxing them because there are some hired killers tagged by her facial recognition software and they're heading to a billionaire's club, which I felt was some nostalgia and it's a party with a villain theme. And she later gets rid of all the videos before they hit social media, because of course he comes in and everyone's filming because that's just what our society does. And then tells Bruce to come over to celebrate by having breakfast with her and Dick, but Batman declines once he sees Batman Inc is wanted for murder. So it could have been a family bonding time, but it turned out not to be. Quickly, Nightwing 87, if only to marvel at the art. And by art, I not only mean it in the small sense, but the art of the entire story. Yes. And the fact that the issue itself is one continuous image. It's beautiful. Yeah. If you place every page next to each other, you'd have one poster image with the story. Uh, Now that billionaire Dick Grayson has publicly 
dedicated his funds to save Blue Haven. He's a wanted man, and that's why he finds hired killers breaking in to steal his dog, Haley. So this is 87. Uh, storytellers Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo, and then cars Adriana Lucas. And I almost imagine that the reason we've had Robbie Rodriguez for the past couple is to give Bruno Redondo time to do this. But it's I, I love Redondo's art, period. But this was just so inventive and amazing. It was super fun to go through. And this is yeah. going to be hard to even show it on, on computer. But yeah, I wish we could go left to right. I know. But it's so good. Donovan did text me at one point and say that he's wearing Speedos over there, which really it's just black panties. But I'm like, yeah, thank you for he Donovan knows exactly what I want to say. But yeah, just the, the how dynamic it is seeing the city and seeing every part of the city, because at one point you see internals, of course, um, yeah. got a nice little pride flag. And then you see, you know, some homeless people here as we're, we're moving across. So we're not just seeing the same types of people, but others as well. And then, yeah, Barbara does show up and, and join him. She's with him in his ear the entire time. First is Barbara and then is Oracle. And then they split up and fight these people off because they end up taking Haley. And that's just no good. You don't take the dog. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. Yes. And then he pulls in Andrew Garfield and jumps out and saves Haley there. And that's the end. And there, there we go. Yeah. So happy family. Splash at the end. No, it's, I mean, it's just, it's. It's just a gorgeous book to look at. And it made me, it reminded me of um, some Young Avengers. Did you read that? Yes, Uh, I did. Do you remember that there was like one particular spread where it was kind of showing how they bounced around the room? Karen Gillan and Jamie McKelvey, right? Oh, okay. And it also kind of reminded me of Hawkeye. Oh, Hawkeye. Yeah. Fraction, uh aha, Hawkeye. Are you watching Hawkeye? I am. I'm all, I only have seen because of your bullying. I had yeah. to put a pause on it. And, you know, oh. you're going to give yourself a headache for as many times as you rolled your eyes at me. So <laughs> <laughs> but I had to put a pause. So I've seen two episodes and have enjoyed it. I don't like Haley. What's her Steinfield? Oh. I don't care for her, which is why I haven't watched Emily Dickinson, because I'm like, I don't know if I can take this girl. I know. I'm so sorry. But I, I'm on board with her as Kate. So even though I don't care for that actress and I only don't care for her because of her role in Pitch Perfect 3, I just thought she was so annoying and that song was so annoying. It just goes over and over. So it, it was unfortunate. I'm very sorry for my prejudices, but I I, I never saw Pitch Perfect 3, but okay. I did. The first time I saw her was in I, I was about to say True Grit, but that's not true. The first oh, thing I saw her in was yeah, my right. daughter watching Radio Disney performers. Oh, interesting. And so she was singing a song and I mean she does I don't I can't speak about Pitch Perfect, but she she really does have a, a great voice and yes. great stage presence. So then to go from that to True Grit to Dickinson to yeah. this, just like, you know, Ooh. I just feel like she can do so much. And I, I would give Dickinson thumbs up. I would try it if you if yeah. you can manage it, I if would I can, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I, but I'm, I've been enjoying her as Kate, so I'm glad, but I'm only two episodes in. So, okay. Well, the last one's tonight. I mean, okay. To, Good to know, but I'll be watching it tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, I've, I've really liked it. And I really like that run, you know, that it's based on, I see that Matt Fraction is being credited as a consultant, but I don't see, and I, honestly, I don't know how to say his name. So I'm just going to say, I've heard people say David Aja and I've heard people say David Aha. I'm really not sure which one it is, okay. but 
give the man some money because you just designed a whole show to look like the comic. Absolutely. So come on. Especially the title sequences. And I think a lot of people luckily are on board um, with that, that they agree. Yeah. I, I don't know if being on board with it will do any good, but anyway, this issue so great. Just yes. so great to look at. Okay. And then Urban Legends. Is this our last quickie? Uh, yes. Our last quickie before Batgirls. Okay. So Urban Legends and it's Christmas related, which is good. Just have to go through. And also Tim comes out to Batman and Batman mm-hmm. is accepting. I couldn't believe it. Batman wasn't a jerk. <laughs> I thought that was appropriate. I mean, you weren't really expecting him to be like, get out of my house, Tim. Where you? No, I know Batman has a heart. I just like to pretend sometimes that he doesn't. Okay, so this is Batman Urban Legends, number 10. And specifically, we're going to just look at or scroll through Nightwing in the Bats of Christmas Past. Writer Teeny Howard, artist Christian Duce. Caller is Sarah Stern. Nightwing gets a large dose of scarecrow toxin from a gang. Is that all it says? I guess that is all it says. So uh, Barbara is the ghost of Christmas past. And we actually see her bring him to. Yeah. So there's the gas. That's all my synopsis. said. that's so sad. But anyways, he and he envisions people. He's supposed to be at this party with all the other members of the Bat family and he's not showing up. So then he's getting these visions. It's Batgirl as Christmas pass, and she brings him to the Teen Titans holiday party at the tower. Dick is at, look, look, our favorite person, wearing less than normal, I would say. <laughs> he is pouting? I don't know. He's acting like a true teenager. He's wondering why Bruce hasn't called. And then we see later on that Jason has actually showed up at the tower to be with him, but he never comes out. So Jason's alone. And then we find out that Batman didn't call because he was worried about Jason. So it's just this terrible situation. Then Steph shows up and she is Christmas present. And uh, the family is waiting on Dick, of course, to come. And they're not going to play or do secret santa and we also find out that Cass picked dick but she couldn't find anything for him which that will be resolved later on but you just get to see all of their relations and what's going on there oh i do like this moment where bruce was i think he was on the phone and then calls barbara and then just like when you know the principal comes in or something and asks for a kid everyone else is like ooh, which they they, they sure do which is funny that barbara is probably the least like well maybe she's the most likely to get in trouble i don't know but she's the least likely to take it so she would definitely uh not put up with that and then the final one of course is Cass, and she is the ghost of christmas future and she ends up basically wrapping it. Well, she shows what happens that or potentially could happen that Dick gets killed on this night. And then that was the last night that the Bat family celebrated Christmas because they just didn't want to deal with it anymore uh, because it just is a painful reminder of losing Nightwing slash Dick. But she ends up wrapping up the the perps and says, Merry Christmas, Nightwing. Love Secret Santa. And we find <laughs> out that that was real. And uh, yeah, so she finally was able to come up with uh, a good gift that was worthwhile. And, and Dick ends up showing up 
at the Christmas party, which is a bit odd because he is in his garb and everyone else is not. So it seems like he's probably ruined everyone's secret identity, but we'll allow it. But I, I mean, we're not reviewing it, but I just thought this was a really fun story and really heartwarming. And it's just great to see the Bat family together in positive circumstances. So any thoughts on this? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I generally like any Bat family bonding stories, and this is just a great one. And just the, the, the premise of the three ghosts and a, a Christmas carol, you know, they figured out a way to make it work here. Cute Christmas past picks in the beginning. And uh, I, I really like that one. And just the one, there's like a little one where he's got a candy cane hanging out of his mouth and, and what Cass's gift is. It's all good. Yeah, it's all good. It is. Okay. So now it, he, it is here. It is the main event where we look at back girls. Do you think that I'll ever get old? No. Nah. <laughs> okay. So I decided to be the bully and, yes. and ask <laughs> Carolyn <laughs> to recap for us. So that is what yeah, she is so going to do. I will. First, I'll read DC's summary and then I'll kind of fill it out a little bit. But this is Batgirls and number one, Batgirls number one. <laughs> One Way or Another, part one of six, writers Becky Cloonan and Michael Conrad, art by George or possibly Jorge Corona, letters Becca Carey. So the way DC summarizes it is, that girls, Cassandra Kane and Stephanie Brown, are only able to navigate the dark, gritty, and oftentimes scary city of Gotham by leaning on the bright light that is their best friendship. Mentored by Oracle, the Batgirls move to the other side of town where Barbara Gordon can keep a better eye on them while the hacker Seer is still invading their lives. Steph may be too rash sometimes and Cass doesn't speak much, but what they lack in similarities they make up for with their mutual respect and love for each other and what makes them stronger together as Batgirls. And they may be good at kicking ass, but they are just trying their best to be normal teenagers who will borrow the keys to a muscle car that belonged to a bad guy and perhaps give it a joyride around town without a driver's license, then race to get back home to Oracle by curfew, exclamation point. Okay, so it opens with Seer and talking about how things can maybe change when you observe them. Um, then it goes to our three bad girls. They're moving into a neighborhood called The Hill um, because the clock tower has been blown up. Stefan Cass blamed for it. This happened elsewhere, right? Was it the last couple? This is fear state stuff. Yeah. I, mean, I kind of know. I know. And yeah. Yep. But I mean, I know the general outline of that, but that's that's really it. So anyway, their personalities are kind of on display on the first page of them in words and art and colors. Babs wants to know what they want for breakfast. And Stephanie doesn't say waffles, which I found surprising. (laughs) She says, what am I wrong? She says she wants cereal. And then she remembers correctly that Cass likes eggs. They need to keep a low profile technologically and personally to try to avoid sear. But Cass has difficulty hiding her strength. Although she tries uh, to hide herself by putting a bag over her head that says reading is fundamental. Cass is also wearing an adorable robe that I was kind of expecting her to say was Steph's. Uh, Babs has a world's greatest dad mug that I'm pretty sure I've seen before. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Babs got them what I would consider adorable uh, little Vespas for them to scoot around on. Yes. But sad trombone. But sad trombone. According to the girls, because they're not terribly stealthy or black as night or fast or whatever. <laughs> Cass maybe has the keys to this very cool car. 
which they use to go put beacons in locations that Babs has told them to in order to set up kind of a new network for them to use, new tech. So then they're looking at this giant graffiti art by someone named Tudor. That was was T-U-T-O-R, not T-U-D-O-R. And they see these bad guys maybe mugging people. So they kind of get in the middle of it to help. But the people being mugged keep asking them to teach them and guide them in this kind of zombie-like way. So the girls get home and then they see something suspicious from the window that Babs dismisses, which I found surprising. Um, so then, of course, they sneak out to check it out. And Babs falls asleep in front of multiple monitors with good old fashioned Oracle icons on them as the girls try to let her know that they're in trouble. The saints have risen and the magistrate will never die. And they are being confronted by Tarsus, Assisi, Valentine and Fido Five. The end. So what did you think? Oh, boy. I am excited. I'm excited. I think there are some things that I'm hesitant about, mm-hmm. which we can certainly suss out. But just the fact that we have it, I think, you know, I'm going to give all the grace in the world to it and just see, yeah. like, how is it going to to unfold? So I, I'm certainly excited. So just to begin, I guess, at the beginning with art, what do you think about okay. this art style, which is pretty, I don't know, I call it when I, I find it similar to Robbie Rodriguez's style, just that mm-hmm. I call it kind of rock and roll or like punky, but very colorful yeah. and lively. Yeah. And not too super, not super sharp, but I understand what you're saying about Robbie Rodriguez. I just feel like even that upper that upper right-hand corner panel that the three of them are in, or these three big faces of them that go from right to left. I think they're spot on. Barbara is sort of looking semi-serious and hopeful and Cass is kind of wide. Sorry. Steph is kind of wide-eyed and Cass is kind of like, "Eh, what? No, that just seems appropriate to their personalities. And I think the colors are great too. I like that. You know, you get that contrast with their hair color and eye color in the in the foreground. And then in the back, you have these kind of teals and blues and greens as accents. So, yeah, I I I liked it all. <laughs> do you want to do your your overall thoughts since you asked me it was rude of me to just move on oh, no, without no. asking you to receive no, the question? No, I, I felt the same way you did. I'm hopeful. You know, I've been I've been wanting this comic for years and yeah. here it is. And, you know, when I look at these very first pages and I feel like, yeah, this looks good. This is kind of this is the kind of art that seems like it would be appropriate to this kind of story where there's some lightness to it because you've got these teenage characters and you're trying to draw some contrast to the other books set in Gotham. Um, you know, this, it just all seems appropriate so far. That doesn't mean I loved everything, but by page two, I was kind of like wiping the sweat off my brow. Like, okay, okay. This is going to be good. All right. Yeah, for sure. One of the, the greatest challenges that I internally had for these creators is the tone and whether was it going to be appropriate for what I imagine or believe very strongly a Batgirl's title should be or just Batgirl period. And so my question for you is just what you think about the tone and humor. And I'll say first that I think the tone reflects pretty well what I'm looking. I, I think it should be a lighter tone. And that's not to say that 
we're dismissive of the cases that they have and the villains and everything. But I think overall it, it should be fun as well as having some, some grobby toss. And I think the humor for the most part matches the characters, especially I think Steph is probably going to be the one with the goofiest humor. And then Barbara has maybe the knowing adult humor and then Cass might just be the, the butt of jokes or maybe uh, inadvertently humorous because of awkward things that she does. Mm -hmm. But what did you think about the the tone and humor overall? Yeah, I thought that I thought the tone fit because I think that it is trying it's trying to set it apart from the other books, and it's within you know it's it's serious enough that you're not laughing that this villainous stuff is happening, right? But you can't. I shouldn't say you can't. A, a character like Stephanie, you know, part part of her DNA is this sort of cheeriness and optimism, right? So you can let that shine in a book that's setting this kind of tone and you can contrast it to Cass's seriousness and Babs's responsibility and mentorship, but they can still sort of, um, you know, by osmosis have some fun, you know, sort of infectious uh, Stephanie's kind of attitude about yeah. stuff, I think. And so I think that, what look the way this book looks um, and the overall tone are conveying that the only thing I do wonder. So I, you know, I read it, I made some notes to myself and then I thought, Oh, I'll go look at sort of summaries of reviews and see if, uh, if, you know, comics journalism outlets are kind of saying the same thing that I, that I'm thinking. And that, that did seem to generally be the case. And then there was this one, I'm not, it wasn't super negative or anything, but it said something like, well, this is clearly aimed at at tween girls and it's like trying to be Gotham Academy. And I was mm. like, number one, just because it has girls in it doesn't mean it can only be read by tween girls. That's just A, dismissive of tween girls, not cool. And yeah. B, making it seem like stuff that e that might be directed at that audience can't possibly be enjoyed by anyone else, which is which is not the case. Mm -hmm. And also Gotham Academy was great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so what's wrong with that? Yeah. That wasn't the tone of the comparison this person was making, I don't think. But so I do wonder if there's going to be some sort of, I don't know, some sort of like masculinist dismissal of this because it centers younger women. That's not cool because yeah. they'd be missing out if they did that. Absolutely. Yeah. I, well, I'd love to hear what, and I guess it depends on who, who these men are because i think if they're fans of the characters then they they should be on board maybe i'm trying to think of you know i've not read detective in a while i mean that tone would definitely be heavier and darker than what we mm -hmm. read here but what i've been seeing with with cass and steph in the stories leading up to this in mm -hmm. batman that relationship is there. That humor is there. And then in Nightwing, where I feel like Nightwing is certainly something, a book that's turned DC around for me for sure. And getting a sense of who the Bat family is and, and being on a group text and seeing how these are these characters are interacting. I think that it this is totally like in continuity. Everything seems to be jiving really well together for the first time in years. So I think if they want dark, dark, dark tales, then this is not going to be for them. And maybe that's why. But I'd love to hear from Donovan uh, about what his thoughts are on, on Cass and then Ian Miller, his thoughts on on Stephanie and how everything's mm -hmm. going. But I'm totally on board with it. 
Yeah. I, I think I'm meeting these characters to a certain extent for the first time again, just because Cass and Steph, like this version of Cass and Steph is a bit different than, you know, what I've been reading in 2002, but I'm totally on board with that. And the reason why I think both of us have really wanted this is because it's just such a great relationship, the three of them Mm -hmm. and seeing them grow. So that's why I'm totally on board with it. Yeah. Um, Can we talk, can we talk about Cedar for a minute? Oh, sure. Because I've only, I didn't read all of, Fear state. fear state. Yeah. And <laughs> so I have only been seeing this character for a couple weeks in kind of the last couple issues um, that I read to sort of make sure I was caught up in order to read this one. Mm-hmm. So that's like uh, a couple Nightwings and, and Batmans. But is it your, do you think this is someone we know or someone we don't know? I think it's someone we don't know, even though how it was presented in some of those issues, it was dropped as if we should know who this person is. But I feel like I'm like scratching my head. Like I I have no idea who this person is unless this right here is a disguise, what we're seeing. But I think it's just some new little pimple teenager who, for some reason, can give Babs uh, a run for her money. I likened it on the previous episode to I think his name was the general who who seemed to be like an arch nemesis for Tim in his run it's something like that may I might oh. not be called the, the general or something like that but it is interesting to have this this teen be someone to go up against Barbara whereas you think it would be someone more more her contemporary but the only you know the only person who has this amount of skill to match Barbara I would feel is you know calculator but or that's cal- what I was thinking too. <laughs> you think it's calculator? Could it be Wendy? Have we seen Wendy Harris in this current continuity? Yeah. So that what, what what I actually wrote in my notes was okay. Is it Wendy? <laughs> so because I was sort of racking my brain over if this is someone we've seen before, and it totally may not be. Yeah, who could it be? And then I thought exactly. First of all, just by the the physical look of it, I was yeah. like, well. The only female kind of shorter, spikier haired computer genius that I know is Wendy, number one. Number two, the last time we saw her really was in that Brian Q. Miller run. Yep. Right. Because Barbara is mentoring her and stuff. And then number three, I thought, okay, it doesn't necessarily have to be Wendy. Um, because it would be fun to make Wendy a bad girl someday. Yeah. And that could still happen even if this is Wendy, but yeah, maybe it's some calculator related thing. And then number four is just, uh, maybe it's just a totally made up new person. Yeah. So I don't know. Do you, I have some follow-up questions, I guess. So I, even though they've used the female pronoun, I feel like this character is pretty androgynous. Like they're intentionally making the character gender unknown for me mm-hmm. could be so i don't know if you know something else could happen so i'm very open to it not being or this character not being female okay but, but potential i mean they've used the the she frequently so who knows um, well it could that could be a misdirect in the yeah. way that they're not infrequently people going up against Barbara and birds of prey assumed that Oracle was a man. It's very true. Yeah. And so maybe they're playing with that. Yeah. Are you a bit 
let me not lead you with this. Do you think, I'm trying to think of a way to phrase the question so it's not leading. This is the second time maybe we've had an oracle. Ooh, is it the third time that we've had like an anti-oracle situation or like a fake oracle? Yeah. Is it too much? Are you okay with it because it's like a different direction? Well, I understand why they do that kind of thing, right? Because supposedly the the textbook villain is the one who's like the dark mirror of the hero. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be that way. I think the reason that becomes kind of a textbook thing is because um, writers try to have reasons why our hero can't just quickly best the villain because our hero has these amazing skills, right? Mm -hmm. So if the villain doesn't have at least some of those skills, it's going to be a really short story. So I understand why they do this kind of thing, but I think that, I think that of those calculator was the most interesting. Yeah. Um, I think the more recent versions have not been as compelling as calculator. So um, I, I don't mind the basic idea of trying to set up someone who can, who can at least somewhat match Oracle. Mm-hmm. Um, because to me, that feels like it's going to be a more Oracle centered story than Barbara as Batgirl centered story. And, and I would like to see that, um, especially with her being the, the woman in the chair who's, who's running the Batgirls. Sure. And maybe there will be more Batgirls coming. I yeah. think you, you read the interview with the creators that way, right? Yes. Like surprises and. Yeah, there, this is definitely the beginning, I think, of the the Batgirl Inc., if we want to go that way. Yeah. And seems like, yeah, some fan favorites and shocks yeah. may come by. And I remember even Gail, Gail Simone, when she was asked to write the new 52 Batgirl, and she understandably did not want to because mm-hmm. she felt Oracle was such an important character, but then was basically told, look, we're going to do it with or without you. So she thought maybe she could help guide it a bit, but then she had all kinds of strictures about what she could do, what she couldn't do, what she could include and not include. But she did say that you know, in, internally to the story world, it became more difficult to come up with things that Barbara couldn't beat as Oracle mm-hmm. because she just seemed to always have the right information and the memory and the intelligence to just outwit anybody at any time. And so that was part of the justification for wanting her to be Batgirl again, not Gail Simone's justification, but that's kind of how it was presented to her. And I think, and some fans apparently felt that way too. I don't know who or how many, but I think that's why you wind up with the technology oriented person. I I mean, do do you feel like it's just too overdone? (sighs) I guess we're meeting Barbara where she is. So her strength and what could possibly take her down. But because this is the third time in, yes, it's been several years, but it just seems living memory. I never fully understood anti-Oracle. I'm still scratching my head over that, to be honest. I never, the body, and I don't know where it's coming from. And yeah, I don't then, think we have to spend that much time talking about that. It's okay. And then Gus, was that his name in Batgirl and the Birds of Prey? I can't remember who ha- who was bipolar. That was, that, that, that was, was, he was Oracle too fake oracle so it's been done which you know when you said i think 
calculator was the most interesting. I was thinking to myself, it's probably because it was the first one and it was successful. And now everyone's tried to redo it, invent the wheel, and it's just not working as much. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think that aren't, I feel like I can just look this up right now, but I feel like there were some sometimes portrayals of calculator where he was wearing green glasses like that. Do you, do you think that's true? Am I remembering? I think you might be right. Yeah. So yeah, potentially you might be on the right track. I I didn't really like the name seer, to be honest. I I mean, I get it. Close to Oracle. Yeah. But you can't call her Cassandra, right? Can't you come up with something? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I will say, I don't know if you noticed this, but when they saw the neighbor, there were two little squares over there. And I wondered if that was like, is there something suspicious about the neighbor? Because they use that whenever Seer is talking. Those that the blue and the yellow. Oh. I go back up to Seer, see how the blue and the yellow are all over it. So I wonder yeah. if there is something indicating something about this neighbor person. Oh, I totally missed that. I don't know. But it's not in, that's weird, a weird placement for it, it though, is. isn't it? Yes, I would agree. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. Unless it's like the tech, maybe it's by the tech line. So it's already showing Sear is within that. I don't know. Oh. It kind of looks like there's a cable. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. Okay. <clears throat> we'll maybe. keep in touch. But there's like a funny panel right next to it. How, you know, Steph is really excited. Yeah. And then I guess I would never mind. Yeah. Okay. So if you look at, if you Google calculator images, yes. Yes, yes, there are a couple where he's wearing glasses that are green and shiny. Okay. But it's not all of them, but it is a few of them. Okay. So that's maybe telling us something or maybe not. Yeah. And it certainly reflects her avatar, which is that green mask too. Mm -hmm. Okay. Here's a big question for you. So as I was reading this, I felt like Barbara didn't play much of a role. And in my mind... (laughs) I thought, is Barbara just going to be a den mother here? You know, we're like, yeah, it's it's fun. She's the mentor and everything. But is it just actually Steph and Cass teaming up and then occasionally Barbara will lend her expertise or her mentorship? Is that just me like maybe wanting more Barbara and not seeing as much? Or did you get a sense that maybe she didn't play as much of a role in this issue either? Well, I found the Barbara falls asleep thing kind of curious. <laughs> like, no, they, I mean, they look out the window and see a thing and she dismisses it. That surprised me. Oh, and I agree. Then, yeah. And then that she falls asleep when they need her. Also surprising. So I'm hopeful that this is just that she'll, you know, the next issue will be she's got to put effort in just like they do. Right. She's got to. Yeah. Because if, if, if she's perfectly established with nowhere to grow, that yeah. could get boring. I mean, in a way, I'm okay with that because I like the character so much. But sure, generally, sure. you want them to have some forward momentum. So hers could be, okay, I won't dismiss it when you see something suspicious. And okay, I guess I have to drink more coffee to stay up with you too. Ha ha. If you need me, I need to be there for you. Yeah. So so I don't disagree with what you're saying. I not sure how sustainable that is, though, her just being the den mother. I think she's got to be an active participant. I hope so. I mean, it doesn't need to be like this. But when I envisioned Batgirls, I always thought of it as a birds of prey situation with all the Batgirls, you know, so she does have a mentoring role, but she's an actual viable part of a mission. Mm-hmm. So I maybe I, I put too much 
I, my expectations were too high in that. So yeah, we'll see. But I, I was also confused. I mean, I do appreciate that she says, you know, she's got to do better too. But yeah, that she falls asleep. I mean, she should be used to weird hours working with Batman over Fear State. Unless Fear State just knocked her out. Or maybe she has COVID and they're, they're doing some real world stuff. I don't know. And then, yeah, the fa- the dead body. Thank you. I did wonder. I mean, shouldn't Babs at least think it's a good idea to see if it is a dead body? And she's just like, no, you crazy kids. Just That's, yeah, I didn't didn't understand. I, that uh, was surprising to me. Yeah. But but I, I well, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. She is reading a manual on how to. uh Deal with teenagers. Do you have such a manual <laughs> for your teenager? No, um, I mean I do. I do read articles here and there that come up in the news sources that I check about stuff like that. But the but the books that I had were mostly little kids stuff, especially infants when they can't talk and tell you what's wrong. <laughs> there you but go. yes, no, it is it is a challenge and it is tiring. I get it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. This scene, uh, I'll skip around here. Her, she, she and the cane, Barbara and the cane. Thoughts on this? Now, this was something that was discussed in the interview that we'll we'll sort of see her in different modes of mobility. So here, my only thing, and this is coming from a place of ableism, because I'm, I guess, able. So this is me saying something ignorant, potentially. But I'm confused, I guess, that she's got the cane now, which I'm totally on board with her using the cane. But oh, my gosh. But earlier, she's she seems quite mobile in, in everything that she's doing around the house. And yeah, I think that um, I think that's a reasonable question. But what I think they're trying to show is when you are in a situation where you have some disability, it isn't necessarily constant all day for you. It can depend on what you've been doing or how much you've been moving around or what angle at which you're holding yourself. Um, It can be worse in the evening when you've been trying to get around all day, or it could be worse in the morning when you get up because it's hard for you to sleep because of the disability. So I think that I, I think that it's reasonable and relatively true to life that people who have canes use them sometimes and not other times. Okay. That's all I needed to hear. So I'm I'm on board with it. I did when I saw her. I actually thought a lot about Frankie. Do you remember Frankie? Yeah, I do. I liked Frankie. Yeah. So we'll see. Oh boy. Okay. I will say some fun character moments of Cass. Your that purple robe. You're absolutely right. Uh, I did not think that that was a Cassandra Kane robe, but I love that it is, and I will go with it because I okay. Think- I'll go with it. Well, I think some people can surprise us, so you wouldn't expect it. So that's why I think it's probably the the most fun. And uh, she says, hey, I thought Mm -hmm. your robe got taken. Oh, I uh, found it. And then (laughs) Steph whispers, oh, I almost suggested we go find the guys. Mm -hmm. And to think how painful it really must have been for Cass to lose a fight because they were listening to Barbara, like talking head Barbara say, you know, don't don't out your identity, which I do wonder how long that's going to last. The other thing- (laughs) <laughs> no. The other thing is this whole, you know, when I first saw this, I think someone tweeted it and it just like popped up, retweeted that they did like a quick redraw of their favorite pa- panel and I had not seen it. So it had been out of context when I saw this panel. But then when I saw this in context, I thought, oh man, this is great. I mean, if it worked for Amazing Bagman with Spider-Man, then of course it can work for Cassandra Kane. 
Sure. And, and I, I, it may not be, but I, I took it as a hat tip to Barbara teaching her to read a long time ago. I hope so. I hope so. She does speak well. Are you okay with the way that Cassandra speaks? No. no. Okay. Um, but that's, <laughs> but, but to be, to be fair to writers, I haven't read, you know, when I wrote my, one of my books, <laughs> my better known one, I did read, you know, really comprehensively, like every issue that every bad girl was in ever. And in the last, you know, three years or something, I've been spottier in that. So I can't say that I've read every single issue of the newest version of Cassandra Kane. So all I can say is that everything I read that she was in before that would lead me to believe that she would speak a little bit less than the way that she's speaking. But it could be that the new orphan is established in a different way. Yeah. My experience is that it's inconsistent. It depends Ah. on the writer. So, and that's even true in 2002, where I am now that all of a sudden we have a new creative team. Well, as Chuck Dixon did a couple, oh, he did the Roman history stuff that I did with Sean and she was speaking way more than I was used to. And there weren't pauses. And I thought, who, who are you? No, this isn't, I mean, she's not, it's not overboard in this issue. No, I wouldn't say no paragraph, but but there are parts where there seemed to be more words in a row than I would expect. Because even when she was, again, I'm not totally caught up on every cast issue of the last couple of years, but she, when she was first in detective again as orphan, she did not say that much, right? I, yes, I would agree. Okay. Well, so we'll see how they move forward with that. Yeah. And how she knows the word. Remember, weren't you and I on the show? Wait, maybe maybe it was Donovan, where all of a sudden she knew the word cellulite and Barbara gets really embarrassed. <laughs> and so I was like, how would she know a word like that? And Donovan's like, you're right. I it was you. But he said, yeah, you're right. So how does how does Cass know Bao? I don't know about that one or Bondo. And I don't also understand the reference. Do you understand the reference? Is there a reference? I thought it. I thought it was a James Bond related oh, idea. Oh, perhaps you're right. I just wonder because there's Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, and then Boba, Boba Fett. Yes, but I could be wrong about that. That was the only thing I thought of. Yeah. I was just about to ask why are they all bees, but then I looked at the grill and there's a big bee right there. So I guess that I missed that in my first read through. Okay. Size and number of mysteries that's going on right here. So we've got Seer. We have zombie construction workers. And then, of course, at the very end, we have the saints, which are actual real life saints and martyrs. I'm not going to talk about them on this episode, but maybe on the next one. And I'll give you some research and everything. There's not one called Fido. It's Fidelis. But just be aware that these are real uh, people. And uh, there's a lot going on here. Do you think it's too much? Do you think this is just the way, you know, we got to wet or the creators have to wet our appetites to keep us going and that we have maybe different uh, tiers of of how long these like seer will be over multiple arcs and then maybe there are just piecemeal things. Yeah. I was taking it as different tiers, different levels of threat, but it could wind up that they're connected. That's okay too. Yep. Okay. Final quote. Well, not final question, but I guess my last question about this, how do you feel like this does as a number one? It's hard when you feel like you have a lot of history with characters to answer that question. Yes. But I think this can be equally fun for the person with 
either a lot of background on the characters or another person with only a little. You know, it kind of seems like between the art and the style of speech, you see enough contrast between the three. Um, You see the bond between Steph and Cass, even as their personalities are already being drawn to be quite different. You don't necessarily need to know why they're moving into this particular place, but you do know that they have to do it and they have to set up a new technology network. So you, you can just go from that point forward, really, I think. What do you think? Do you think it would be confusing? Uh, only as an adult, I might be like, why is this adult bringing these two children in to live with her? And where are those children's parents? <laughs> that would be my only like, what's happening here? But that's fair. I mean, I think that, you know, many of my students have a variety of family forms. So I am not unused to things like, like I would never say in the classroom, something, something, your parents, right? Yeah. Like I would always say people that you live with or people that brought you up or your caregivers or something like that. So I guess that didn't, that that just went right by me as not being unusual. <laughs> sure. Well, it wasn't unusual only if I like stepped outside of myself because otherwise I'm like totally on board with it. And it, I think it's pretty funny that Barbara has consistently given herself the best living situations in the past several <laughs> little stories. Like she gives them this crappy hotel and she's shacking up with Dick. And then here she has a loft and they have bunk beds, but they're completely content in whatever situations that they're given. So, you know, they love the bunk beds. There's a whole little page about, hey, we'll switch off on the bunk beds. You know, I'll be top. And then next week you can be on the top as well. So yeah, I I like the bunk bed thing because it seems like, you know, I'm sure Cass has slept in all kinds of uncomfortable conditions and staff just think bunk beds are cool. So together it works out. Yeah. I think it's good for both. Yeah. I think it does a good job of allowing people who have not read up to this point to there's not like an info dump, but there is enough exposition to give a sense of why they're there and maybe a bit more about seer. And then, of course, for people Mm -hmm. who have experienced the fear state situation that you know what's going on. And yeah, yeah, I, I think creating these characters from scratch to a certain extent, like if you're hopping on and like trying to figure out these people, I think you can put your finger on what their characterizations are from this with the exception of Barbara. I think she's the one that I would probably be misinformed if I just made an mm-hmm. opinion of her from this, but definitely Stefan Cass. I think you're, you're right on the, the money about their relationship and then that they're just distinct and, and disparate personalities. So overall, I would say a pretty successful number one. I'm again, excited to see where this goes. Me too. I'm excited to see where it goes with these three. And I'm excited by the possibility of adding additional Batgirls in. I mean, that could include a variety of people. It could. Obviously, Bet or Betty would be the most obvious. I'm a bit confused about that. Someone else mentioned that. I guess it was in the interview. Because wasn't she Firebird? Is, you know? Yeah, but... I think uh, once a back roll, but didn't back roll. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, short. Yeah, but you could add, but you could fold in someone like a Harper. You know, oh, I think Harper Row. Yeah, why not? Why not? You why could not you could bring back Charlie the Misfit, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who I 
think you, I remember that you don't like for some reason. That's correct. For some reason, I don't like her. But yeah, in, you might feel differently seeing her from the beginning. I, I yes. So I will keep an open mind. Yeah, I think it's the look of her. I don't like it. So I, superficial. <laughs> her costume. I'm not on board. Well, I think it's homemade. You know, she you feel like she's an unhoused person. Right. So she didn't have a whole lot to work with. Yeah. Um, initially. Yeah. So I will reserve my final judgments for her. <laughs> Here's a controversial question. Do Uh-oh. you think <laughs> do you think there's a romantic potential between Steph and Cass? Because there have been some images, specifically covers and things, and certain, I don't know uh, how close they've been in the lead up to this, that some people are like wondering whether there's there's a ship happening here. I think you could do it either way and you could support it either way because you could say, you know, they're friends, they're super close. That's cool. You could say it's more like, you know, sort of Victorian times, what they would call romantic friendship, where it was like perfectly normal for girls to always, who were supposedly just friends to, you know, write very flowery letters letters to each other and sleep in the same bed and hold hands walking around and say how much they loved each other and stuff. Or, you know, they could, they could decide to be uh, just, you know, kind of flat out girlfriends or whatever. So I think that the way that they get along presents all those possibilities. If it's written well, then it would be fine, whatever they decide to do. I think, yeah, I will reserve judgment. My, I mean, do you think, no, do you think they're going to try to put Steph and I don't know, do you think there's going to be some kind of Steph Tim thing? Well, I don't even know if she knows, which is kind of awkward. Like, does everyone know, but Steph that he has moved on and he's moved on with a guy? I don't know. Yeah. And, and I don't really know the depth of what we're supposed to think their relationship was at this point. It's been rewritten a couple of times. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, the last I read it, I thought that they were, it was pretty powerful and deep. Okay. In which case I would say, wouldn't you tell your significant other that you may still have some feelings for if it was that deep that, Hey, I've moved on. And also, you know, I've reevaluated myself. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think I'd be okay with there being no romance in this book. I guess that would be my preference only because um, that's just the way they've always been presented to me. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not totally close to the possibility if it were written well. I think, and just this book, like what if we just focused on the ladies and their relationship Mm -hmm. and not, I mean, this is coming from a shipper. So basically no shipping and just, yeah. What are, what are these ladies doing? Yeah. And for, but for sure. And I think part of why we might feel burned by uh, an emphasis on romance in the past is the way they constantly felt like they had to introduce someone for Barbara. And frankly, none of them worked. You remember none of them. Don't start about Kai. I knew you were going to say. Ethan Cobblepot. Oh, heck. Luke Um, was decent. Luke. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Luke is, that's fine. I'm okay with that. You know what this reminds me of? We didn't even talk about the fact that Barbara and Dick have broken up in Young Justice because you find out that Barbara did date Jason Bard, who was private Jason Bard in in season one. Now Artemis is dating Jason Bard and Barbara set those two up 
after she broke up with her ex. So that's very sad. But uh, Well, did they say that I thought Jason said he she set them up because she went back to her ex? No, I think he said I've watched that scene a couple of times, but uh, it was something like my ex set me set us up when she was dating her now ex. Oh no. Now I'm going to have to go back and look. <laughs> That's okay. Because I I had the I had the subtitles on. So yeah. I I wanted to be sure I got it right and now I can't remember. That's okay. But anyway, so that was disheartening just because when Dick mm-hmm. was going through all that stuff with the mother granny goodness situation, Barbara never left his side until he forced her out of there. But anyways, I I digress. But you know, Dick and Bab stuff, I'm all about it. Okay. Well, I think, is there anything else you want to talk about uh, with this book before we give it a rating? No, I, I feel good about this book. I think it's a great start. Okay. Gets the professor's seal of approval. Did you have a favorite panel? That's a good question. Thank you. You know, I've not done that in a while. I guess I had no need to. I mean, besides the bag man, which I agree is a pretty funny one. I mean, honestly, the fact that <laughs> she's coming out of the shower, probably this just because of how crazy it is. But color wise, I think that mural that they passed was pretty fun. Also, mm-hmm. the wah wah and how there are so many yeah. babs and how excited she is. Oh, yeah, these are sick. But I, really I like, do that, like that, that top one with the car that you just went by. Yep. That- Stephanie's kind of hanging out of it and yeah. Cass is driving it with her skinny little head. I don't really know why Cass is driving. Should she be driving? Certainly not. No, I, I wouldn't think so either. But oh, yeah. and I like the one where their their legs. Oh, right here. Um, no, it's a full page. Ooh. You know, um, did I go past it? It's like their leg. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. This page here. Yeah. Let's rumble. <laughs> Okay, well, what would you give this out of 10 cup nudes? <laughs> well, I can't give it rating out of waffles, apparently, because there aren't any waffles. So sorry. <sighs> it ain't right. No. <laughs> right into your local congressman. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to give it 9 out of 10 cup nine nudes. 9 out of 10 cup nudes. I think I will agree with you. Yeah, I think it's a, that it's, it's a, a, minus. a wonderful start. Would you say an A minus? Yeah, a ninety A minus. Right? No one's going to complain about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, our final segment is literature recommendations. Have you been reading anything? I besides have really, uh, Oh my god! I've really, honestly, had some difficulty with my level of focus. So I think this last calendar year, I have read less than I normally would. I think the the best thing I read this year, I think it was this year, was The Committed. Mm. Did you read that? I haven't. It's the sequel. This, I'm sorry, I didn't write this down. I knew this okay. was coming. Um, this happened. The sequel, to, <laughs> the sequel to The Sympathizer, oh, which won the Pulitzer Prize uh, for Fiction by Viet Thanh Nguyen. Um, so yeah, The Sympathizer won the Pulitzer. The Committed is the sequel to it. And then there were other books that I kind of read throughout the year. That one just really sticks out. And, you know, other than that, I've just kind of read some nonfiction that's work related. So, so I'll just stop there. 
because you're you're much more um, comprehensive with your literature recommendations than I can be right now. <laughs> that is okay. I'm feeling like this will be the last year I can pull off 100 plus books because with grad school, I think a lot of my time is going to be devoted to that. Reading yeah. That, so. I'll have to cut it in half, but I did have a good go my, my final month or whatever. So mm-hmm. a couple plays, the women by Claire Booth loose. Mm-hmm. And this, I also watched the modern adaptation, which stars Meg Ryan and other people and the 36 maybe adaptation, but it's basically about this upper class social circle in New York. And it really focuses mainly on this woman finding out that her husband is cheating on her and then how her friend circle either helps or harms her and just all the relationships and and between all these women and the whole play is only women and there are so many and even just like minor characters that kind of flit in and out of there but it's it's very interesting and kind of goes to there's some people that are supportive of each other and some that are like excited that this one woman who had it all is like now visiting her downfall so it's sometimes mm-hmm. hard to read a soldier's play by charles fuller which takes place during World War II, I think in Louisiana, and a black officer is killed, and then there's a a black sergeant is killed, and then there's an investigation about was it someone within the army? Was it someone like the racist town folk around there? Very interesting. Samuel L. Jackson and Denzel Washington were in the original cast. Twelfth Night by William Shakespeare. First time I'm reading it, even though I love She's the Man. But you can listen to Tom and I talk about the play on required reading in January. And then it crosses over with his pop culture affidavit where we actually talk about she's the man. The Memory okay. of Things by Guy or Gay Polisner. And this is a young adult novel and it takes place on September 11th and then a couple days afterwards. And this young man is like a 15-year-old. He's crossing, I think, the Brooklyn Bridge. He's evacuating. And he comes across this girl who looks like she's about to jump off the bridge. And she has wings on. And it turns out she has memory loss. And so he brings her home. And um, he doesn't know where his father is. And then his mother and sister are stranded in L.A. So it's all about, and he has to care for an uncle that has a, a pretty debilitating injury. So it's all about making it through these days and then bonding with this girl and figuring out what her mystery is. So I would recommend that over extremely loud, incredibly pretentious. <laughs> I don't like that one. The Day the World Came to Town, 9-11 in Gander, Newfoundland by Jim DeFitti. And I, that was an audiobook, and I really liked it. I wanted to read this before. This is a true story. I wanted to read it before I watched Come From Away, which was on Apple TV. And it's yeah, I was going to say when you said when you said gander, gander I thought yes. one way this is going, this conversation yeah. is going. Yeah. So based yeah. off of that, and also real conversations come from away. The musical is, and this is about basically on 9/11, air traffic control shut all incoming airplanes down, and so oh, like I'm trying to think of how many landed in Gander, but it was over 6,000 passengers got off in this small town. And it's just about, it's, it's really uplifting. I think I would really recommend it, especially now when we're looking around the world and wondering, well, I'll say this, looking around the United States and wondering why people are not supporting other people and doing what they should be doing and protecting 
other people, because this gives you faith and humanity because these people were opening their homes to strangers, bringing them back, giving them things. And all the Americans are like, really? Well, there are other people too, but they're like nervous. Like what, what's going on here? Why? And it's just like, they were doing it out of the kindness of their heart. So it gave me hope and humanity that, that it's possible. It's possible. Continuing my Amazing Spider-Man run by Nick Spencer. I also read The Nest by Cynthia Diapri Sweeney. And it's about this dysfunctional family who is, again, I don't know, I'm reading these white upper class novels, but it's this family and they each have the siblings are supposed to get an inheritance soon. And one of the siblings is he's got some issues and he ends up using a lot of it and they're just trying to get that money. But in the end, they end up uh, all coming together. So despite of what, what this guy has done, uh, they all bond together. So it, it was okay. I read a couple stump towns by Gre- Oh, this is it. Stump uh, the last two volumes. So the case of the King of clubs, and then the case of a cup of Joe written by Greg Rucka and then art by Justin Greenwood, which I recommend both of those. And I think that's where I am. That's where I left off. Oh, that's I, I thought of a couple things. Cause I just quickly looked at my library record. So can Please? I just say, a couple? I would love for you to, but I won't be giving syn- synopses really. Okay. Um, I read, I'm only going to mention the ones that I, that I think are worth mentioning. I read um, Nomadland, the book on which the movie is based Sure, and both are excellent. So I would recommend both. The book has, I would say more in it um, about the different lifestyles of people who are living this kind of nomad lifestyle. And a lot of it really has to do, but you know, some of it is because People just want to kind of be free and be in the outdoors and stuff. And some of it is because people are just more economically marginal. It's the only way they can get by. But it's a nonfiction book that reads like a novel. Um, So I would definitely recommend that. Um, Interior Chinatown by Charles Wu. You, Charles Yu, why you, sorry. And it's kind of, uh, it's, it's, what it really is, is sort of attacking all kinds of Hollywood and societal stereotypes about Asians and Asian Americans, mm. but it's told through the idea through like mm. someone who lives in Chinatown and is presumably an actor in a couple of shows who always gets kind of cast in the same uh, sorts of roles sure, and can sure. only aspire to certain types of roles. So it's, it reads like a play, but you know, it's also really kind of a, a commentary on other stuff. Doodleville, the graphic novel, um, it was an Eisner nominee and it's just, it is adorable. It's basically a group of kids who have like an art club and one of them, the stuff that she draws starts to come alive and then they all have to kind of work together to deal with it. But it's one of those just kind of super heartwarming kinds of things. I'm also now looking through long lists of things that I took out and didn't read <laughs> or read only a little of and couldn't. Harlem Shuffle by Colson Whitehead. Um, that would be the newest, the, the newest from the guy who wrote the Underground Railroad. Um, this one is different. It's kind of a, like a crime noir set in Harlem. So it's not it's not like the Underground Railroad. The most recent thing I read was The Lyrics, Paul McCartney, which oh, is about this big. It's like this giant set of uh, lyrics from Beatles and Wings and solo songs with Paul kind of like an oral history of telling where the songs came from and other sorts of stories, too. So I have read some stuff. It's just not at all like the normal amount that I would read. 
So because you've read that, does that make you want to read the Stephen Sondheim books that he, I think he did two parts of, of the lyrics that he's done? Yeah, I would definitely read those. I mean, Beatles stuff, you know, I, I'm kind of a, I'm a basically a classic rock person, but for me, Beatles stuff is kind of on another level. So I've read most books when there's a lot of them um, about the Beatles and watched many, many documentaries about the Beatles. And yes, I did watch all eight hours of uh, Get Back on Disney Plus and I would do it again. <laughs> uh, it was really great. Speaking of the late Stephen Sondheim, so company, of course, is Stephen Sondheim. So we'll be paying our respects to him there. Do you, yep. Have you seen West Side Story? Not yet. No. Okay. But, oh, I mean, I saw the old West Side Story. Sure. And I've okay. seen it on stage, but not the new one yet. Have you Have you seen it? I've yet? actually seen it tomorrow. Okay. But it'll be the first version of West Side Story that I've ever seen. Oh, okay. Though I do right. vaguely remember my sister being in the company of a high school production, but at that mm-hmm. point in time in my in my life, when I was a small child, I was very scared of guns. And so the gunshots, I would like loud noises, I would go under my theater. Yeah, seat. my even though my daughter, I mean, it's different now, but when she first sort of was hearing the songs and liking the songs, she said she did not want to see it in, in person. Um, because she knew that it that there would be fighting and that there would be a gunshot. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Do you have a favorite Stephen Sondheim musical? <laughs> <laughs> Saw to put you on the spot. Wow, oh, that's hard. I think West Side Story is the one I know the best. I've known it since I was a kid, so I know like all the words to all the songs. I'm not saying that's necessarily his best, but it's probably my favorite. I would also, I had already told you that when I took Latin in high school, we watched a funny thing happen on yes. the forum. So I very much associate it with that. But maybe I can make you watch it at my house. <gasps> that would be, see, I was about to say, like, I need to watch that. But that would, that would actually be, I'm going to hold off now. Because right. that, that would be much more enjoyable. So yeah, once no. he unfortunately passed away, I was like, I need to be more into the Stephen Sondheim and listen to it more. So I listened to Sweeney Todd for the first time, which mm-hmm. I had no, I knew of it. I didn't really want to see when that musical movie came out. I think it was 2007. I didn't want to see it. I thought it's going to be too much. I don't even know much about it, but he's just going to be slitting people's throats. And then I listened to this musical. And as I was listening, I'm also what, uh, reading like the Wikipedia synopsis. I'm like, and then you get to the end when all that stuff goes down. I'm like, this just got so dark. But I ended up watching over the weekend, Sweeney Todd, finally. I thought it was okay. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. think, apparently it's his favorite movie adaptation of his work. But oh. um, I feel like Johnny Depp's not the best of singers, but it was okay. And it got the sense of everything. Um, I was disappointed at the ending because you don't see what happens with Anthony and Joanna. But, whoo, boy, that's not an uplifting uh, musical at all. No, I really just kind of know the song where he's sort of laying stuff out. And I know the overall plot, but I've never seen it either. Yeah. Same with um, Sunday in the Park with George. Like I know Finishing the Hat. Yeah. And I love Mandy Patinkin's voice, but I've never seen it. Yeah. My favorite Stephen Sondheim is Into the Woods. Oh, okay. And, but I prefer the Bernadette. Peters, you know, that they filmed and everything that version. Yeah. But I, I think it's probably because it might've been the first, it was definitely the first Stephen Sondheim one that I have ever seen. And then 
maybe the first musical, but it was just on, I don't know, PBS or something. I was very small and I was just completely enraptured by it. So that one's, that one's my favorite. Yeah. I mean, it might have to do with the one you'd see first, because for me, that was West Side Story. There you go. I think it just, you latch onto it. I think he was like 25 when he wrote the lyrics to West Side Story. It's ridiculous. The baby. Okay. Well, we've reached the end of our time here together. Would you like to promote your things since I've not done a successful enough job doing it for you? <laughs> oh my goodness. My things. Okay. Well, I guess my, the more well-known thing that I wrote is called uh, super women. I'm literally looking at my bookcase for the subtitle. That's terrible. <laughs> Gender power and representation. representation. That's correct. Yes. Oh my uh, goodness. Look, it's been, uh, I've had stuff. Okay, so Superwomen, Gender, Power, and Representation, which is kind of a, an analysis of female superhero characters over 75 years. Um, and my more recent book, it came out um, last year, last fall. So fall 2020 is called uh, Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel, Militarism and Feminism in Comics and Film. And it's kind of about how both Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel are military women and they're feminist women. And it's kind of about how their militarism works with and against their feminism because we, we like root for them and their diverse allies to fight injustice, um, you know, on behalf of like vulnerable black and brown and green people, uh, which is feminist. But at the same time, we're also rooting for this like one white savior woman mm. and a few people of color to use like, major military violence without maybe much consideration about how women and people of color and especially women of color suffer the most from military violence all over the world. So uh, it's about how that combination, that militarism and that feminism can appeal to like really progressive fans and also really conservative fans at the same time. That's, that's what that's about. Okay. Oh, so I said I was going to say briefly a health thing. Would you like to? Yeah, I mean, I just, uh, this is not because I so much enjoy sharing this about myself, but I think that if it could help somebody, then I'd like to do that. So I finished this the book that I just mentioned, and then um, luckily I finished it because uh, last September, um, my mother was suddenly diagnosed with an advanced cancer. And through the course of her treatment, she had all these genetic tests done and found out that she had one of those, what's usually known as a breast cancer gene mutation. It's called BRCA2. There are two, BRCA1 and BRCA2. Angelina Jolie had BRCA1. Mm. (laughs) So it's genetic. So I got tested too, and I also have it, BRCA2. And so what that means is you have an extremely high chance of having breast cancer and ovarian cancer. And you also have a heightened chance of colon, pancreatic, prostate cancer, and melanoma. So for those last ones, basically, you're just supposed to have more frequent screenings than most people would for the breast and ovarian cancer risk. Because it's basically like, you know, 87% of people who have this gene will get breast cancer, right? So the first thing you're supposed to do is have your ovaries removed when you're old enough to know that you don't need them for anything else. So fine. So I did that. And then for the breast cancer stuff, you can either have much more frequent screenings, which reduces your risk somewhat. But what reduces your risk the most is to have uh, double mastectomy. So I did that. So 
that that's why Stella gave me this cool mug when I was recovering from one of these surgeries and it's put a smile on my face every day that I've used it for all these months. So anyway, with this, it's been very difficult. I'm not going to lie about that. Um, It's been very physically demanding. It's been mentally exhausting in a number of ways. There have been follow-up surgeries as well. And the recovery time, especially for the, the bigger one was a couple months where you can't do very much for yourself. Um, so it's a lot, but the reason that I want to share this with people is because I had not looked, I knew my family history quite well, but what I didn't know was that I shouldn't have just been looking at who had breast cancer in my family. You know, there was breast cancer, there was colon cancer there, you know, so there was prostate cancer. I didn't know that all three of those things could be linked by the same genetic mutation. So I guess I, what I want to get across is if, if you don't know your family history, please get to know it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do get to know it for this particular mutation, again, there's a link between breast, ovarian, colon, prostate, I'm forgetting something, pancreatic, and melanoma for this particular gene. I was tested for 47 gene mutations, and I have this one. So I just want people to be aware of how it works. Um, and if anybody out there has questions about how you get tested, what kind of um, advice you get from genetic counselors after that, uh, what happens with different doctors, I'm happy to share what I've learned. So uh, that's it. Sorry if you think that's oversharing, but I'm just trying to help. I, I, I reject your apology. I don't think we need it. I, I'm appreciative. I roll my eyes at you again. Yeah, 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 yeah. You deal with that migraine later. But no, I'm, I'm, thank you so much for, for opening up and and talking about that and uh, coming on the show. I know that, you know, it's been delayed a bit because, because of everything, because I certainly want to talk to you about your military militarism and feminism, but yeah, we're just waiting for you to get well. And I was just, whenever you were ready, I was ready to have you. So I'm, this is like, this is great. I'm just happy that, oh. She's she's made it to this point. So I'm yeah, I, but I definitely like I, I'm very tired. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I've had restricted movement and been restricted in you know, what I could do for for many, many months. And, you know, those things um, are, are very wearing. And it's yeah. like appointments, 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 appointments. Um, so, yeah, it's just been a lot and coming on the heels of um, trying to take care of my mother and then she passed away. It's just been really overwhelming and it's, uh, you know, affected a lot of stuff. But the point is I have this information and I could act on it to reduce my risk and you don't have to do exactly what I did. If you need to reduce your risk, there's other stuff you can do. And again, I'm happy to talk to people about it if they have questions. Absolutely. Yeah. You can email me of course, and I can forward Mm -hmm. it to, to Carolyn or do you want to give your email out? Yeah. So I usually use my school email. So it's my last name and first initial, coca c at oldwestbury.edu. That's the best way to get hold of me because as Stella will no doubt tell you, I never use my Twitter account. It's true. I was shocked to discover that Carolyn Coca liked a tweet that I sent today. I occasionally lurk, but I never tweet. <laughs> I know. It always shocks me when I see you on there. But yeah, thanks you thank you again for for sharing that and and offering up any advice. So hopefully yeah, thank you for allowing me to talk about it and for having me on your anniversary show. Happy anniversary. Thank you so much. Congratulations on grad school. 
Thank you. Yeah, I, I, no better person, I think, could I think of, of, of doing back rolls number one on the anniversary. So thank you so much for coming on. And then sometime we'll, I'll be talking, well, interviewing you, I guess, really about, about your most recent book. So I can't wait to do that. That would be great. Thanks. Remember, you can send any questions or comments to backrolltheoracle at gmail.com. Find the show anywhere that you find podcasts, like the show on Facebook or follow it on Twitter at backrolltheoracle. And of course, subscribe to the show on YouTube for an uncut version and the ability to look at panels as I, as long as, along with my guest, look at it. Uh, follow the Batman Universe on Facebook and Twitter as well. Support the Batman Universe by subscribing to Patreon. And once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring back row the oracle the barber Gordon podcast and until next time <gasps> fly on bad girls lovers just plain barbara gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special batgirl cycle who knows is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you? Mother cannot guide you. Now you're on your own. Everybody makes 
one another's terrible mistakes. Witches can be right, giants can be good. You decide what's right, you decide what's good. Just remember, just remember, someone is on your side. Our side, someone else is not. While we're seeing our side, our side, maybe we forgot. They are not alone. No one is alone. Hard to see the light now. Just don't let it go. Will come up right now. We can make it so. Someone is on your side.